And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. It's been a while, I think, since I've been so singularly interested in talking about a movie from the book. It's one of the better ones. Yeah, but it's also like, this is a Jana favorite and a Nick blind spot. That's, which these are very rare. Me in the middle of that, I'm so hyped. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it. But yeah, that is a, a rare circumstance we find ourselves in. Okay. Would next week's fall under uh, that umbrella as well? Is next week Metropolis? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, would you consider that a favorite? I would not or... consider it a favorite. I consider it a no. movie I've seen that's pretty good. Okay. But, but yeah, I have not seen it like as many times as this one or anything. All right. How many times do you think you've seen McCabe? Uh, not a ton. Like maybe three or four. Okay. I've just only seen Metropolis start to finish once, and I've I've like seen bits of it otherwise, but. Are you a Pandora's box head? I'm a Pandora's box head. I am not. It's, one of, it's maybe my favorite silent movie of all time. All right. Okay. Ready? Yep. Right. Of course. Hello and welcome to the Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Dylan Queer. And this week, we are very excited to be discussing, I don't even have a joke, I'm so excited <laughs> to get started <laughs> talking about this movie. We are discussing Robert Altman's uh, 1971 revisionist western, I suppose you would call it, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, um, starring Warren Beatty and Julie Christie and a handful of other Altman uh, supporting cast recurring players. Um, it's based on a novel from the 1950s called McCabe, and it's been referred to as a revisionist Western and an anti-Western, and it is a good movie that we are going to talk about. Um, no Mrs. Miller in the novel title. No, no. She gets, no. She gets promoted. She got short shrift. Mm -hmm. There, I'm trying to remember. I read, I read a lot about this movie this week. I read, I read the Criterion essay. I read, obviously, the Ebert essay. And so there was something in, I think it was the Criterion essay, talking about, like, the decision to promote Mrs. Miller <laughs> into the yeah. titular role, which I think is absolutely vital for this movie's success, I would say. She's the she's the brains behind the operation. She, she deserves uh, a little more credit. She really is the brains <laughs> behind the operation. Lord knows Mill McCabe does not have any brains. Right, I was going to say, because it's definitely not... Uh, well, he doesn't McCabe. need brains. He's got po he's got poetry in him. He does have poetry <laughs> in him. Uh, oh, McCabe. Uh, what a what, lot of tragic figures it's a good in line. this movie, actually. Um, I was going to say, he's a tragic figure, but it's kind of... Uh, he's, he's, like, sort of not even the most tragic figure. No. No, he's not. We'll talk about Keith Carradine, but... Oh, I don't Jesus know if I feel like talking about Keith Carradine, to be honest. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the... Nick, did you know about that moment before you saw the movie? No, I knew nothing that's, about it. I was, that's I was under the impression this was more of a gambling movie oh. than it ended <laughs> you up thought being. It was gonna it's be like, like one scene in the beginning. Period piece California yeah. split kind of situation is what you Yeah, I thought it was going to be like 
old California split. Mm-hmm. Is it maybe the most gambling movie? If you look at it, oh, the way like, McCabe ga- tries to play. Gambling with his life and his uh, yeah, exactly. company. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Uh, but yeah, um, other, yeah. Other than that opening scene, we don't really get true gambling. Any gambling. And then discussion later on in the yeah when he's talking to the the one bounty hunter about the guy he maybe did or didn't shoot uh, in a mm-hmm. in a gambling. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the movie. That's a good one. That oh. man never killed anyone in his life. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say that actor's really good, but they're all really good. Um, they're all really good. Yeah, so I guess just quickly for anyone's not familiar with McCabe and Mrs. Miller, oh my gosh, please go watch it. Uh, what a picture! Uh, but it is about this guy McCabe. Um, he is played by Warren Beatty um, in kind of. I was gonna say one of his like. What's the word I'm looking for? Like it's. It's not self-conscious. Like I think it's a, a really great. Is it is it the revisionist Warren Beatty performance? Kind of. Um, although it, it did obviously make me think a lot of his Clyde Barrow as well. Um, mm, who also yeah. uh, makes some bad choices <laughs> that, that lead choice to mistakes. A, a rough end for him. So there's a lot of similarity there. But yeah, and it's a it's a frontier story in the mm-hmm. the West, the Pacific Northwest specifically. Um, and he's a enterprising businessman and, and things, uh, don't turn out the way he'd hoped as I think they didn't for so many of those guys. Um, but let's talk a little bit about when we all first saw this movie. Uh, Dylan, when did you first see this? Uh, this is probably a high school okay. one for me. Um, I don't really remember too much about the first time I saw it. Um, I know that at the time I was really down on Altman because I did not like Nashville. That's fair. And I've warmed up to Nashville since then. Although I don't think I've seen Nashville in full since then, but I've just come to understand a little bit about like Nashville. I just hated. So, I sometimes... hated how many characters and how many like messages. <laughs> hated the whole Altman so thing. I hated sometimes the this needs thing. to be a video pod so that people could see the face that I'm giving, which is just the. Yeah. I think of Nashville as kind of like advanced Altman. Like not not to say like oh you have to be really smart to get no, it. But no, like, I, I saw it's... I saw advanced Altman this week. It's called shortcuts. <laughs> okay, okay, fair. Okay, but for some reason, and, and we'll get into it. But like the first time I saw shortcuts, I loved it. Um, and I I still need to warm up to Nashville a little bit. I'm, we're going to be rewatching that soon. But like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. For some reason, I had a harder time with Nashville than than shortcuts. Interesting. Interestingly, but. Uh, yeah, both both um, of them are him doing his his thing big time. This is very I just remember th- compared to those. Yes, I did I did remember thinking a little bit that like I wish Nashville was more like this because there was these two central figures and this wide group of character actors and all this stuff. Like there's still like the Altman, you know, mm-hmm. 40 characters down a list and just all these people doing things that come in and out of the story. Mm-hmm. But I remember I enjoyed it being more focused yeah. as, a, as a narrative. Now, um, I'm not sure if that will necessarily hold up. I'm curious to see my complete reaction to Nashville um, in a, a couple of months, maybe? Not even. I think sooner than that. I think in a few weeks. Oh, really? Well, I guess a few okay. weeks, a couple of months. I don't really know what the timing difference is there. But yeah, it's the... Two, three, okay. All right. I guess it's... Yeah, we got like five episodes, although... One of those is in the can. So, yeah, we, it'll be like the third or fourth movie from now. Cool. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I'm not I, again. I'm not sure if that holds up. I just um, I think the only other album I'd seen at this point was Gosford. Okay, which, sure. which I enjoyed but didn't love and is another one that I've never seen in full, but I've seen parts of it since and I've warmed up to it more than I was before. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'd be curious to watch Gosford Park right now after um, being halfway through Downton Abbey. Oh, I think sure. it does a similar mm-hmm. thing, but a lot better. But <laughs> Wait, you think Downton Abbey does it better? No, 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 no. Oh, I think okay. Gosford Park does okay. it better. Okay. Sorry, I was going to say, I've only on. seen season one of Downton Abbey, but uh, I'm going to have to disagree. I mean, it's, no, it's, no, 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 no. It's Julian Fellows doing his thing regardless, right? Yeah, like, it's, it, he wrote both. It's just Altman is bringing his style. His fuck, he's throwing fucking heat in some yeah. parts of that movie. Have you seen um, The Long Goodbye, Dylan? Me? Yeah, okay, you guys actually remember. told me to watch it, okay, and I, I so. watched it. Because that's more and... like this, right? That's a more straightforward... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it still has... A lot of Altman's, uh, I don't want to text isn't the right word, but style. But it is yeah, his, his mumbling and people talking over each other so that you don't <laughs> this actually is, like right. it. This, this one is the most mumble. A lot of mumbling. Yeah, yeah. this one's pretty, he's a putterer and murmurer to, oh to refer to uh, the blank check yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so- I would say this, this, but I mean, Elliot Gould between uh, Long Goodbye and MASH is uh, mm-hmm. like... He, he doesn't say an intelligible word in either of those movies. <laughs> is it different in mash. California Split? He's more brash in California Split. Yeah, yeah. He's louder and, and more brash. I mean, it, it's sort of on a on a range. I think Mash is the most. I mean, that performance is really something. It's all mumbles, <laughs> and then you get the long goodbye, and then <laughs> Mash also like they're wearing masks half the time. Like you can't even see who's talking. He has like yeah, you, you it's hard to make out for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Nick, you just saw this for the first time this week, right? Yeah, I watched it on Tuesday. Nice. We're in a better place then. Yeah. Just leave it at that. Uh, I don't know. It's a cool movie. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, and I. Can't... That's it. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to talk about it for like an hour and a half. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I first saw. I saw this a few years ago. Um. And I have the Criterion disc, so I've watched it a few times since then. It's just, yeah, I I love it. It's one of those movies that is feels in some ways like a comfort movie, even though it's like existentially despairing, like about <laughs> how awful everything is. But the ending, it's just, you know, to to get ahead of myself, quoting Ebert, he has the line in his essay about how Altman's made many great films, but he's made one perfect film, and it's this. And, like, I, I go back and forth on my favorite Altman because I like so many of his movies, but this one is pretty, to me, kind of clearly his masterpiece. Um, even though I think a lot of them, or many of them, verge on that perfect scale, and I think many, many of them are great. And I haven't really gotten to the bad ones yet, so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know filmmaker. they're out there. I just haven't gotten to them. Yeah, He's a filmmaker for me um, where I have a lot of his movies, and just depending on, like, the day, there's probably five that I could name as my favorite yeah. or the the best which are those five um, for you nick well I, I don't even know that there's an actual five i was just oh, doing sorry. that off the top of my head but but uh th- uh i would say this nashville uh long goodbye and california split are all definitely like top tier mm-hmm. for me i'm trying to think if there are any others it's probably those four so i lied yeah yeah, and I go I, pretty I, hard for '90s Altman. So I, I, you know, I love Shortcuts and The Player. Yeah. Both are. See, I would have, well. I would have those two and three women, like a, mm-hmm. you know, a half step 
sure. below. All, all very, very good movies, but probably not uh, in contention for being my very number one. Yeah. I, I do think your mileage on this movie will completely depend on how much of a fan you are of Leonard Cohen and how much of a fan you are of uh, whatever the hell Vilmos uh, Sigmund is uh, Sigmund? Sigmund is doing with his cinematography. Well, so the story, the, the two things that were mentioned on the Criterion essay that I found to be very interesting were, one, he shot the full movie first before deciding to put in the Leonard Cohen songs, <laughs> which is fascinating because just I can't mm-hmm. imagine. like No, absolutely just, not. Right? What, what is this movie without that? And so the fact that he shot the whole movie and was like, you know what? I really like this most recent Leonard Cohen album. I want to see if I can get his songs. And I guess he went to Leonard Cohen to ask basically to get the rights for the songs. And he was hoping to leverage like, Hey, I'm the guy who made mash, you know, maybe we can work something out. And apparently Leonard Cohen was like, Oh yeah, mash, I guess. But I loved Brewster McLeod. And like yeah. that was Leonard Cohen. So yeah. That's the buy- most so Leonard use- Cohen thing right, ever. So please use my songs. Cause I thought Brewster McLeod was a masterpiece. And so, that's how that worked out. And then in the the other thing the Criterion essay mentioned was basically that Altman and Zygmunt knew that there's no way the studio was going to let them let the movie look like this. So mm. instead of waiting for post-processing to do it, they like exposed the film negatives to give <laughs> the film that like hazy, old-timey, sort of blurry, brownish look. And they did it to the negatives itself so mm-hmm. that they couldn't be told no <laughs> there was there was no coming back once you've done that it's like nice that's like the orson welles thing of like never like only taking only shooting mm-hmm. like a very minimal amount not doing any like b-roll so that you can't have it taken away yeah, from you yeah, yeah yeah basically he knew it he cut. learned after mag amberson's yeah Basically doing your cut in the camera so that they can't yeah. do another cut because that's all you gave them. Can you imagine this movie cut any other way, though? No. The, 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 the pacing of this movie is so singular that I, I think if you try to mess with it and, you know, you try to, like, be like, oh, the scene with Keith Carradine on the bridge isn't necessary for the plot. We should probably take that scene out. That, yeah, I mean, that there's would a lot of little moments. I mean, and like all the sort of little tiny observed moments like in the brothel and around the town and stuff where, um, you know, you just get these little moments of people's lives that McCabe's not even around for. You know, yeah. you see like the people dancing or the people out on the street or, um, you know, something that Altman does a lot that Ebert talks about in his essay is, you know, he just drops you into a world and a story. And it's like, these people know each other. They have a town. They have a society. <laughs> We're not going to walk you through and sort of introduce you to everybody and have them, like, explain themselves. Because that's not how the real world works. You show up somewhere and you have to figure it out for yourself. And so I feel like the movie does a lot of that. And you just have to yeah. piece it together observationally. Um, which is cool. And I think makes for a very rewarding watch. And definitely it's one of the reasons why I like rewatching it, too. Because you can pick up on different... Mm-hmm little things i think every time are you guys uh leonard cohen fans yeah i mean not i don't like I don't, not a super yeah, fan, a you super don't fan have but a, i a, sure a like leonard cohen tattoo no but i sure do like the songs in this movie yeah so what's your favorite of the songs jenna there's three right there's three i think it's the one that's playing at the end um the one that plays over like the final sequence. I mean, it plays throughout the movie. Yeah. But the one, 
I'm blanking on. Crap. The, the <laughs> That's one, the one I can't remember the name of. I know. And like the one lyric that repeats about how like like we, something in the we snow lovers or something i can't remember exactly what the yeah. the lyric was very sad though and it's it's what's playing over the ending sort of montage of the sort of fates of, of McCabe and uh winter lady I yes believe. That's, that's it that's the one yeah i had no idea um so like i said i do very little going into this movie about this movie and i didn't know that leonard cohen did the music to it mm-hmm. so from the very wow. beginning i was like oh i was like oh it's a leonard cohen song yeah. i love the song <laughs> It's a nice little treat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so effective because he said it's three songs and they recur, like they sort of come back at different they're, they're motifs. They're motifs, yeah. And the only other music in the movie is basically just like diegetic music that, that's playing. Yeah, like René Alber... Albergenois, I think. Albergenois on his little fiddle. Yeah. Or they have the little like, there's like a Victrola or whatever, but like the little machine with the little tin... Uh, music oh, yeah. thing that plays that they can dance to um, and so and it's kind of fun I was picking out the various little like sort of Americana vaudevillian type like it was like Tarara Boomdier and Beautiful Dreamer and all these songs and I'm like oh yeah just the songs that they would have been playing back then so it was a fun fun dichotomy to go from oh yeah this is the music those people would have been listening to and then just Leonard Cohen being sad <laughs> all over the place <laughs> So, all right, well, let's talk a little bit, I guess, about the movie. It's interesting. I started off taking a ton of notes, but it's really hard because I just wanted to watch the movie and not True. be writing down things. Could, could we do the uh, Oscars real quick? Oh, of course. Let's talk and, Oscars. And the oh, sight and sound. That. Yes, I pulled up the sight and sound. I didn't really, I knew one of the directors a little bit that voted for it. Thought it was an interesting person to vote for it. Yeah, I don't think it was I like a Greek comedic, a Greek, a Greek comedic director. I had thought that this was higher on the list than it ended up being. It's three hundred something. Yeah. It should I be it was higher. Two fifty for sure. That's yeah, three hundred something is crazy. So what's funny? Very, I was looking at the sight and sound list earlier this week or a couple days ago um, because I pulled it up after I. We'll talk about it later, but I saw Lost Highway on Friday. Um, and that also has, like, Lost Highway has, like, the same number of sight and sound votes as McCabe and Mrs. Really? Miller does. Wow. It's, like, around the same place on the list, which, like, I really enjoyed watching that movie, but good Lord. Like, wh- how? What? <laughs> Guys, yeah. disrespect What are McCabe. we doing? Like, yeah, that was that was surprising to me. Um, oh, now, I have you- to note very quickly that... Um, in 2010, the film was in fact selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure we've run into a movie yet that hasn't been. <laughs> I don't think so. Put in Maybe the Library of Congress, but Armageddon, Death Race. <laughs> not of not of the ones in, in the book. The the uh, yeah, Death Race 2000. I don't think quite made the cut. Although it should. It is absolutely culturally. That was a blast. Aesthetically significant movie should we watch that um all right sorry oscar talk uh well so the director i knew athena rachel's uh, oh, yeah sangari i've heard of a couple of her um comedies i've never seen any um do you guys know any of the critics here i didn't recognize any of the names no neither did i um glad some people voted for it though because yeah. oh boy should be more Wait, is this the for same 
the same Alps as the other Greek movie Alps? Uh, she co-produced uh, a bunch of Yorgos's earlier movies. Okay, Yorgos stars yeah. in at least one of her movies. Oh, yeah, she co she co-produced Canetta, Dogtooth, and Alps. Mm. Yeah, she's a bit of a bud with with Mister Yorgo. Cool. Um, but yeah, Oscars. This movie got one nomination, and uh, I will say a very deserved nomination. The, the, is it the <laughs> most correct nomination? Probably. That the movie could have got probably. I mean, I think if I had to pick that, one, that or cinematography, yeah. I would say. Um, so yeah, so this was the films of um, 1971, the the 44th Academy Awards that occurred in 1972. I don't think we've talked about this list before. No, I don't think we've encountered no. any of these. The best picture list is hilarious. It is. It's 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 four Stone Cold classics in a movie. I was like, wait. What? Uh, yeah, I need to look. What the so, fuck so is the that? Best picture, the, the winner of Best Picture that year was The French Connection. Great movie. Um, You're low on that, aren't you, Jana? I, aren't I've you a French Connection hater? It. I've tried to watch it twice and I just got so bored both times. I don't, and I understand that it's supposed to be like this great masterpiece, and I just have literally have not been able to get through it on multiple attempts. I don't think I'd call it a masterpiece, but I'd, I'd say it's a great movie. People love it. Um, it's, and it's Friedkin. It's like got that. Roy Schneider and Gene Hackman. Like, I, it, I watch It's really it. good. It's not my favorite Friedkin. Yeah. Neither, neither mine. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, real, I'm pretty low on it, but like I said, I haven't even been able to finish it, so it's not really fair. Um, Janice said, fuck Cupaganda. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what movie, uh, two movies that I really do like are, uh, are A Clockwork Orange, Clockwork Orange and Filler on the Roof, uh, which are both nominated for Best Picture this year. Yeah. Um, fourth nominee is The Last Picture Show, movie I what haven't, a four. haven't seen. Um, because, oh boy, does it seem like a bummer. So I haven't really sought that one out yet. No. And then the final nominee is a movie called Nicholas and Alexandra, a British epic historical drama directed by uh, Franklin Schaffner. Um, and based Are you trying book. to say Fanny and Alexander? Nicholas and Alexandra. <laughs> Because I've never heard of Nicholas and Alexandra. Nope. Neither had I. Neither have I. So, yeah, it's always funny when one of these things sneaks in there. Um, yeah. It seemed like one of, like, the last Hollywood epics as it, like, burned out in the in the zeitgeist. Yeah. But it's, it's directed, yeah, it's directed by Franklin Schaffner, who directed Patton and uh, Planet of the Apes and Papillon and, like, other movies. And I've never heard of this one. So... <laughs> Yeah, doesn't seem to have very good ratings on. Uh, no, Letterboxd. not on Letterboxd, at least. Well, I'm not sure the the Letterboxd it's heads got... are really high on a movie about like Tsar Nicholas of Russia, which is what this movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's got a. I, I, I see some couple good ratings from people I um like, but no one is like overwhelmingly like we need to dig up Nicholas and Alexandra. It's just uh, kind of like. Spoiler alert for Nicholas and Alexandra based on the uh, Wikipedia summary. The movie ends exactly the way you expect that it would end. <laughs> Literally with just the... Uh, they all get shot? The, just, yeah. The uh, the people oh. enter the, the basement where the family's hiding and just kill them all. The end. I mean, that's what happened, so... It's true. Yeah. That is... Uh, yeah. In the early hours of July 17th, 1918, uh, the Bolsheviks awaken the family, and as they are waiting, they are killed. Okay, well, there you go. Um, yeah, no, and I can't really tell. I'm sort of looking around. Um, not a lot of other nominations for this movie, and in fact, it is swapped out on the Best Director nomination. So there's yeah. a four-for-four four match, Friedkin, Kubrick, 
Jewison and Bogdanovich. And then Kings. the fifth director nominee is John Schlesinger for Sunday Bloody Sunday. Um, <laughs> a movie that I at least have heard of. Even I, I, yeah. <laughs> Same. So, um, wow. Starring Glenda Jackson, Murray Head. Wow. Yeah, okay. Another movie I've heard is good, but I don't think I've heard anyone really hyped on it. Mm-hmm. But um, can't get my personal opinion. Yeah, but it is just funny as the the dichotomy between those and uh, the all-time famous movies that have stood the test of time. <laughs> um, so Julie Christie did not win the Oscar. Um, it, is it is. It, but Jane Fonda. I was going to say, but she's not yeah. Jane Fonda and Clute, which is which is just like fucking all time. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Clute? Yeah. I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. She, this is. Uh, they made the right yeah. Choice, I was going to say, I've, the, like the scenes really an all time I've seen of her performance are are pretty remarkable. Um, she's oh, she's very good in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's always good. Um, Nick, why are you wearing a jacket and shorts? Uh, well, because I. <laughs> Was wearing shorts already, and uh, then came down to my basement, and I was like, "Oh fuck, I need a jacket because it's okay. real cold down here." Fair enough. <laughs> like, but I'm already committed with the shorts, so. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't about to change pants, but I was fine throwing on a jacket. <laughs> yeah, Clute rules. Uh, Jane Fonda is incredible in it. I have no problem with her winning, and pro- I probably, frankly, would have complained if she didn't win. Yeah. If Julia Christie won, you w- you would have still complained. Oh. <laughs> I, th- I like honestly. I think I might have. Clue is Clue is just that. Sure. That good. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the killer. Yeah, and then oh, I will say, uh, Janet Sussman was nominated for playing Empress Alexandra in Nicholas yeah. Alexandra. So okay, it, it did yeah. get get in there as well. Um, Come on, Janet Sussman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I mean, I'm looking, and of course that Nicholas. I'm surprised Alexandra. Warren Beatty didn't get in an, an, a Best Actor. Yeah. Saying, Oscar here. And of course, Nicholas and Alexandra won for costume design. Oh, fun nomination for Bedknobs and Broomsticks in Best Costume Design. That's neat. Did oh, guys, wow. Have you guys seen that movie? I've never seen that movie, but I, I know of it. It was a... I think I might have as a kid. It was a real childhood favorite. I've seen it like a hundred times. I, I had like the, the big white clamshell VHS of it, plus it was on like Disney Channel all the time. I've seen Bedknobs and Broomsticks so many times um that's a fun it has great costumes that's a fun that's like a mary poppins-esque sort of movie it's a right mary poppins-esque story. it's kind of like yeah it's a mary poppins-esque story because it's live action but then they go into a fantasy world that's animation yeah. um and but in this one it's it also is like the narnia conceit of oh who are being during the war are sent off to live in the country with like an old lady I guess hold on time. sorry Angela, I'm sorry. uh did either of you guys listen to the episode on the heiress with Carlo? No. No, not yet. Okay, so we... You know uh, I don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're on it. <laughs> Even then. Uh, we discussed uh, the co- the set director of that movie, because it's like all in one house sort of movie. Mm-hmm. And the set director was Emil uh, Curry, who mm-hmm. also did Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Nice. And... Um, it's amazing to look at his... I, I mean, I'm going to be repeating a lot of what I just said with Carlo, but his set direction list is all just iconic movies in a house. Like big houses, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, sure. Rope, Mary Poppins, Shane, A Place in the Sun, The Heiress, 200,000 wow. Leagues Under the Sea, The Parent Trap. Oh, sure. Just like, all of those are like iconic 
I guess rope isn't a house, but like iconic places where I could like picture just about every room and how the house flows and stuff. What a king. Sorry. Altman never won nope. an Oscar. Never nope. won. Other than the uh the honorary yeah, one. Which I just it's fake. If yeah. if Altman did win an Oscar, what should what should it have been for? Popeye? <laughs> you have a, a a toothpick in your mouth while you're saying that. And then... That's how I mean, you guys this, can tell I'm in, cool. In, in my opinion, sorry, French Connection. Um, but yeah. Oh yeah, French Connection did win. Yeah, this. yeah. It's weird. It's weird to me that William Friedkin has a, a best director Oscar. Um, yeah, he's one of those that, and he's got a couple other movie. nominations. Yeah. It, but he seems like one of those people that's like, oh, I didn't know he made that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know he made. Exorcist. Did he get a nom for um, Sorcerer by any chance? I don't believe so. I doubt it. No, nothing. He got nothing for Sorcerer. Yeah, nothing. he <laughs> did. He did get something for Cruising, which was hmm. the Golden Raspberry wow. Award for Worst Director and Worst Screenplay. Mm. Gee, the um, the, the, the fine folks at the Razzies didn't like Cruising, huh? It's fucking. And they seem so um, open-minded about things <laughs> over there. He only had. Two Oscar noms. Yeah, just basically or director noms. almost back to back for French Connection and Exorcist. Yeah. I'm watching The Exorcist this year. I still haven't seen it. You You're still it? haven't oh, seen The Exorcist? No. No, it. You're going to like um, it. I, I can't wait. Well, I, did, I never saw it before because it just looked way too scary. And now that things don't scare me anymore, I was like, I should finally watch Jenna, The Exorcist. Jenna, it's not scary. It's not scary. Really? Scary. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, I, I was like, no, I don't. I, think, I, I don't, I don't I find don't it very think scary. it's gonna. I don't actually think it's gonna scare me at this point, especially because I've lived this long. You've that... gotten. I, I was re-listening to our um, Gates of Hell podcast mm-hmm. a while ago, and you were like, "I get like squeamish with gore," and I, I, I'm not as big of a horror movie fan. I know. Now you're like, I, I think. I think I blame the head. the Gates of Hell movies. I think maybe they're what did it. Uh, yes. I mean, they're I watch, so good. I watch, like, the, ga- the gateways of hell. Yeah, I, I still think. I mean, I still think things are gross. Uh, I was like, I watched Hellraiser after that. That is a gross movie. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't love gross stuff, but it doesn't quite bother me as much as it used to. If you got through the Gates of Hell trilogy, like every other gore, gory yeah. movie is like, oh, it's okay. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Have you like, seen To Live and Die in L.A.? Um, no, um, but it is it is very hard to track down. Um, oh, okay. But I, I we do have it uh, on our our Plex, and I'm going to watch it soon. So sure. That's that's the one that Ke- like Kino was supposed to be releasing a 4K of it like two years yeah. ago, and then just, and then never just nothing did. happened. Yeah. And it is it is out of print and unavailable yeah. anywhere. Um, yeah. It, it looks really cool. So, but it's on my on my list of LA movies. Uh, to get there, I watched the trailer's awesome. I watched the trailer for it and I was like, oh, okay, this looks really cool. Yeah. Um, I also Vilmos wanna... Sigmund's filmography is fucking incredible. Vilmos is literally the goat. Literally the goat. Like, I mean, I, I like a lot of. Um, a lot of the two Jakes? Uh, one of my favorites, The Black Dahlia. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, that's, that's Nick's least favorite movie ever made. Oh, really? it's been long enough that it hasn't come up in the podcast in a while but for some reason the black doll used to come up more often and i don't remember that i remember it being fine i don't know people have tried to reclaim that movie and some successfully 
Okay, that's people weird. try to reclaim a lot of stuff. People people will reclaim pretty much anything. Yeah, people you know try that, to reclaim that, every like terrible fucking movie that's out there. You know that Jake Cole guy said is like exactly like Nick. I know he likes the Black Dollar. Five stars we, for Black Dollar. We, we split on that one. Oh yeah. boy. Five star. Okay, what? Um, but the rest of cinematography, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Deer Hunter, Blowout, Long Goodbye, Deliverance, Witches of Eastwick, Images, mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate, Sugarland Express, Obsession, Real Genius. <laughs> well, it's, it's just funny because like, this is true of so many like incredibly talented crafts people. You know, whether it's you know people who do score, you know, composers or cinematographers or costume designers where they have this, like, they do this iconic work on, like, various masterpieces. But then you got to remember that they also have to, like, pay the bills. Pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> and so then they're also just doing, like, these, like, weird... He shot Jersey Girl for Kevin Smith. Like, <laughs> so it's just kind of, you know, life is a house, playing by heart. Like, it's, what a... I'm looking at the uh, cinematography oh, list Blowout, for... Um, the greatest, lo- the best-looking movie ever made. It is the best-looking movie ever yep. made. Besides Manhattan. That was Manhattan. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I, <laughs> I, I, I forgot we talked about that on Manhattan when you just said it was the best looking ever made and I said no blowout is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the cinematography list for Laszlo Kovacs, who's um, Vilmos's like uh, mentor. Do you think we've gotten of. off track here? Sorry, continue. No. But uh, when you're talking about like directors make a, or these cinematographers are like present for like these amazing movies mm. but then have to pay the pills uh laszlo kovacs uh filmography here we go. Did, easy did rider jack what no did he, he did, do jack he didn't okay. do jack uh easy rider paper moon five easy pieces what's up doc new york new york shampoo okay mm-hmm. let's flip good. ghostbusters miss congeniality say anything my best friend my b- best friend's wedding two weeks notice and jack frost Okay, up until Jack Frost, every one of those movies you named is straight up great. So No, 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 no. I'm not saying they're straight up great, but they're not like no, a cinematographer like I'm I, gonna have to get in here and fucking shoot the hell out of this movie. That I mean I, I think that you said my best friend's wedding, right? Yes. I think that's a particularly good looking movie for what it is. Um it's like better looking than it has to be. Oh, uh, if it is, Cassie's gonna come after me because that's her favorite. Um I think it's 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 not my favorite movie um i actually really love two weeks notice but that movie also like that's just a like a very serviceable um you know <laughs> rom-com but um oh sorry i'm still looking at uh jack was john toll who oh is the guy who shot the thin red line what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> i'm telling you it's yeah it's you know he did some great shit so uh you mentioned uh that uh jigmund also worked with Altman a couple of times, but also on uh, like on like the long goodbye, which looks amazing, and Images, which I started this week but didn't finish, um, because Images is like really upsetting to watch. <laughs> that was not like a fun. That is not really? a fun mob of a movie. It's like a horror, isn't it? Isn't it a, isn't it a straight up horror about like a, a woman okay. who's losing I her mind, no or like maybe she's losing her mind? It's like one of those. Like so, mm-hmm. it's really disorienting because it's like about someone whose sense of reality is sli- slipping, and it's like really good but i was like this is stressing me out <laughs> i had to take a sure. break so i'm gonna finish it though but it looks great also um so they have some good good collaborations here yeah oh, bonfire yeah he did a lot of a lot of um de palma de palma also yeah i do also want to talk quickly about it landed on AFI's top 10 Westerns of all time. Did any of you guys see this list? 
I did not see. That. I saw that. that let, fact, let, let me read out the. Let me read out this list. Okay, ten. Cat Bayou. Or Cat Baloo. Is it not Cat Baloo? I honestly haven't seen the movie, but I assumed the double L's like Quayar in my last name sure. were like yeah. But I, I think Cat they Baloo. pronounce it Cat Baloo in the movie, but okay. <laughs> like the bear from uh, Jungle Book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Spelled a little differently, but yes. Stagecoach nine. The Cape Good Miller movie. eight should be okay. higher. Seven Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Okay. Six, The Wild Bunch. Five, Red River. Four, Unforgiven. Three, Shane. Yeah, whatever. Nick's <laughs> face. Not a Shane fan. I fucking hate that kid. One of my least favorite child performances <laughs> ever. really annoying. Like, really yeah. annoying. Him, him and the kid in Gloria are up there. Uh, probably one and two oh. for me. The kid in Glory? Gloria. The, uh, oh. the, the Cassavetes movie. I thought you meant like the Edwards Wick movie Glory, and I was like, no, no, I'm I don't pretty think there's sure there's no that. kids in Glory. I don't, no. Uh, two High Noon and one The Searchers, so yeah. some interesting picks. They have some big movies missing this list, like uh, Liberty Valance, Rio Bravo. Um, I mean, I don't think this is a great list, but it's it's okay. I say it's a ten list, and it looks it sounds like they were trying to sort of cover different eras and different yeah. types of westerns, and so it seems like you know if if like it if it if they updated it now, they would have like the Russell Crowe three ten to Yuma. <laughs> Rude to the original three ten to Yuma. People like that remake though. I uh, when I was in elementary school, they shot that movie in Albu- in uh, New Mexico. Yeah. And one of my elementary school friends is an extra in that movie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That's that's my extent of how much I care about the Russell Crowe 310. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's a fine movie. Yeah. I know a lot of people. A lot of people like it. Yeah. All right. That's, to, that's all I need. That's from all we had for, for Oscar and... Uh, awards stuff. Awards talk. Yeah, it definitely... Um, seems underrated and i think at the time was not particularly successful um didn't get very good reviews um, out of its first release but then um kale kale was like one of the first ones it seemed like that jumped out of the gate and was Mm -hmm. like great movie yeah and it also sounds like you know again based on wikipedia facts here but like it didn't get very good reviews um but then later on like they did a re-release later in the year a thing that studios used to do all the time that obviously doesn't exist anymore because everything just goes on demand or what have you um, yeah but basically like redid the advertising campaign because i think since it is sort of a like revisionist subversive western a lot of the initial reactions were like what is this and with better advertising that maybe prepared people for the movie they were going to see <laughs> it got <laughs> some some better reactions which makes sense yeah um yeah I don't know where it's going to go with that. Sorry. It was all right. Um, this is pretty early in his filmography. Yeah. So it's I'm, shockingly I, early. I thought it was later than it actually showed up. It's like third or fourth as far as his major movies go. I mean, yeah, because he really. And his and Mash and Bruce McCloud were his only like real classic so far. Right. Yeah. That is. Yeah. So th- this is probably like maybe too early for for people to have kind of latched on to 
what he was doing. Although Mash, like everyone was familiar enough with Mash, and I think this is similar mm-hmm. in, in a lot of his uh, like idiosyncrasies. Right. Yeah. People should people should have known better, yeah. probably. Man, his seventies <laughs> run is so crazy. Like it's fourteen movies in ten years, I think. Yeah, and if if you sort of roll over to nineteen eighty, you get to you get, thirteen get to Popeye there. Um, Health and Popeye to start the eighties is a hilarious one too. Yeah. But then come back to the five and dime, secret honor, full for love. Mm -hmm. And then the 80s, yeah, he's, oh, I forgot. I always heard about Vincent and Theo that that's him. Um, Yeah, then that starts his like early 90s solid run of that. Right, and then the player in shortcuts. Oh, then Pret a Porter is. um, Some people like that. Some people stand up for that movie. Um, That's the movie with probably the most insane cast of all time. It's very strange. Um, Haven't seen that. I haven't seen Kansas City. Um, what about Dr. T and the uh, women? How come I, How come we're not talking about Dr. T and the women? I made a comment I, earlier that I hadn't really seen any of Altman's bad movies. That's because I mentally try to forget that I have, in fact, seen. I saw Dr. T and the women when What it is came Dr. Out. T and the women? It's a movie where Richard Gere um, plays a gynecologist, and he's surrounded by crazy women, basically. Uh, I'm seeing some... It, it also has uh, a Reclamation four and a half five-star reviews on my letterbox. Well, people... Can try to reclaim whatever they How want. How about this? Altman's a serious man. Oh my god! <laughs> it ends with like a tornado, and then he like delivers a baby in Mexico. It's not a good movie. I, I cannot abide reclamation. Damn, that is a, that is an insane cast of reading it now. It's like Richard Gere. And then 20 of the most famous actresses to ever live. it's all about how, like, they're just so crazy. And, like, how hard it is to be Richard Gere surrounded by uh, women being crazy. Come on, man. Um, But then he bounces back. How how different is that from Gosford Park with just women being crazy? Well, but then, but it's not. Michael Gammon's surrounded by women being crazy. There is that. But, no, Dr. T and the women, like, and especially, like, Farrah Fawcett's. There's just, there's some rough stuff in, in Dr. T. And, like. Oh man, that, that's just one of those movies that I, I literally saw it when it came out. Why? I could not tell you. Like, why, when I was 15 <laughs> years old, did I think this was a movie that I should rent would for it, Blockbuster? Who knows? Would it have been a better movie if they would have cast Mr. T as Dr. T? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's about, like, him getting his degree. I would watch Mr. T and the women, absolutely. <laughs> it's about him going to med school and then doing, like, a four-year OB-GYN residency. Yeah. Okay, I have, a, I have a quick question. He, we're in this last period of Altman. Mm-hmm. There's three movies that I haven't seen, but I'm very curious to know if either of you guys seen. Yeah. Have you guys seen Cookie's Fortune? No. Nope. The Company? Nope. Nope. Prey Home Companion? Heck yeah. Nope. Spot in the theater. What do you think of Prey I Home Companion? I love it. I think it's really good. Okay. I mean, That's a movie a that I feel like now. people love and hate and... I'm not really eager to revisit it. Uh is that one Kevin Klein surrounded by crazy women? No, 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 not at all. Um, okay. But it's about um, it's about the Prairie Home Companion. It's about Garrison Keillor, um, who yeah. has uh, <clears throat> since been, you know, not not that I love the the use of Me Too as a a verb, but uh, he got Me Too real good. Uh, turns out oh, Garrison really? Keillor total creep. So uh, I'm not sure I'm eager to revisit a. A movie about what a charming, just eccentric, nice guy he is. <laughs> but, I don't even know who the hell this guy is. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to try to explain to you who Garrison okay, Keillor cool. is. We don't. He had a radio. Life show. is short. He had a radio show, and and this okay. is a a movie about the sort of like uh, a fictionalized version of behind the scenes of his yeah. of his public radio show. 
I really want to see this one mainly just for the Lindsay Lohan She's great performance in it. because this was in like when Lin- Lindsay Lohan it was, was like, like towards a, the end of her peak. I think it's st- like still a respected actress. A couple era. years after Mean Girls, yeah, it's right. It right teeters at the edge because when when she started going through a hard time shortly thereafter, Meryl Streep was one of her biggest defenders. And, and yeah. Meryl Streep was like, Lindsay Lohan's great. Like, she was professional. She was a great actress. She's so talented. Um, this is her last, I think, movie movie. Like, where Pretty she's much. putting in a performance. I mean, she's in Machete, but in that she's... Yeah, that's like a joke. Being it's machete. a joke she did, in a joke movie. She did a, uh, a Paul Schrader movie. <laughs> she sure did. Which one? The Canyons, which I think he's, like, disowned. It, it's, oh, it stars really? her. It's her in a porn star. Um J. Cole, three stars. Yeah, it's it's her and and the porn star James Dean. It was like a really big deal uh, when it came Is it, out. It, yeah. Isn't James Dean dead? There's a there's a porn star named James. There's a different. Dean. Yeah, different. It's a really bad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I'm gonna check this one just to make sure he's not dead. Otherwise, we're gonna feel oh, really God, bad. Yeah. No, he's also fair fair thing to check. Uh, he also way before Me Too happened, he got exposed as a real monster because he was sort of like just having a crossover moment like when the canyons came out he was going to try to make a play at like sort of a legitimate like a, a non-porn mm-hmm. i shouldn't say legitimate but like a a non-porn career and then people were like oh no he's an abusive monster and away he went thankfully have you guys seen just my luck this movie sounds good i remember being okay okay <laughs> i mean i think it's just like if i'm if it's what i'm thinking of it's just like a kind it's of a little a, baby chris pine it's like a straight up little it's a straight little like rom-com that i think is pretty cute Okay. Um, Man. Poor Lindsay Lohan. I'm trying to remember. What she made run. that one movie that, like, really, um, like, that sort of was the beginning of the end for her. And I'm trying to think of which one Is it, it is. Bobby? No, Georgia Rule. It was Georgia Rule in 07. So just literally the year after, you know, she has Mean Girls 04, Herbie Fully Loaded 05, Prairie Home Companion. Lol, Gary Marshall, no wonder. Prairie Home Companion. And Just My Luck in 06, Bobby, the RFK movie directed by Emilio Estevez. I vaguely remember what chapter 20... Oh, chapter 27, I forgot. She was in the Mark David Chapman movie. The beginning of maybe Jared Ooh, Leto. Oh, with the Jared Leto's Maybe uh, Jared Leto's whole a thing. crazy person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Georgia Rule and I Know Who Killed Me all in 07. But Georgia Rule, was, it's a like a three... It's like a grandmother-mother-daughter story with... Um, Jane Fonda, Felicity Huffman, and Lindsay Lohan. And just that was one of those ones where the stories off the set where the Lindsay just could not like show up and, and read her lines. It was a very steep drop off in that time span for her, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. So McCabe. Sorry, I've forgotten about the canyons. That's a real flashback. <laughs> yes, McCabe. Um I mean we basically Sort of set up what the plot is that he comes to town. Yeah. Um, he buys some chippies. He buys some chippies. I taken did. Mean. I did circle the word chippies <laughs> in my notes because I say it I, so many times. I believe that just means women. Yeah, or... just, I think it just means women. I don't even think it necessarily means prostitutes. I think it just means women. Also, he comes. He comes to town. He wins some money, and instead of spending his money like on like prostitutes <laughs> to engage yeah. their services, he decides to go out and. and <laughs> Purchase that was an interesting people. way to describe it. <laughs> I'm just saying, you think spend money on prostitutes, you think, okay, you're going to go uh, utilize their services. No, no, no. He, he basically buys them as people um, and decides to make an investment. And, oh boy, does he not know what he's doing. <laughs> trying oh boy. to yep. set up 
a brothel in this town. Um, puts them in tents. The, the names they give to the people in the brothels in the first round of brothels is pretty. It's pretty cruel. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't write those down. What it says on the tent, like what it has on the signs. Yeah, it has like their name and then I'm sure insulting like, descriptions. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite like moments in the movie though is, and this is like right after. I think it's right after Julia Christie shows up and to sort of prove her right. Um, but we don't really, you know, we just see the tents, they're doing their thing, and then all of a sudden it cuts to, like, one of the women just stabbing a guy, like, chasing him. There's yeah. quite a blood splatter at that moment. Yeah, the movie, this movie has some, like, gore in it, especially at the end. Like, when I was rewatching the ending, I was like, oh, this is that's good. Like, I'm, in my head, I don't really picture the violence happening on screen, but there's there's some real violence uh now, when he shoots that butler guy in the head and his head just kind of goes. Poof. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Nick fully zoom in on the, yeah, headshot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't. I'd forgotten about this stabbing and they never come back. They to never it. come back. No. To it. We don't know. I mean, you, you got to just assume that he did something in the tent that she didn't want him to be doing. And she chases him out and stabs him real dead. There's a brilliant use of like elliptical filmmaking mm-hmm. in this movie where things will come up and then just like never be completely yeah. fulfilled, but we could understand like what would happen in this scenario. And also just like the town is like com- goes from like two buildings to like a town town yeah. by the end they of the were... movie and they never do like a, a like montage of like people like making the buildings or even like scenes really showing them making the building it's just like Oh, here's some couple weeks later, and oh, look, there's another, there's another. Building. They were just literally having the the crew like build the sets as the movie was taking place, and it just makes sense. Makes the the construction sort of yeah ongoing. Um, yeah, and it, that's that's one of my favorite things about the movie as well. It's like it really is just like you are there. It's like okay, if you're in this town, you wouldn't know everything that you you might just be walking by and see these things, these bursts of violence or these weird things happening, and. You'd never know what was going on with that. So you just kind of move on to the next thing. Um, really, really, really good sense of place. Um, I will say, um, so this takes place in 1902. It's in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I did think of First Cow, like seeing all the like frontier yeah. people <clears throat> out in the, the beautiful green Pacific Northwest. Um, and yeah, it, we talked about that first. He he wins money at the gambling game. And that's our first scene of the real Altman. Like you don't need to hear what anyone's saying. Everyone's just talking over each other. It's just like, you might get a word here and there. You might get like little individual moments, but uh, he really just does his like sonic, like almost sound bath style of dialogue in that scene. Yeah. There's, so good. there's no important plot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Stuff really going on. Yeah, the, really the only thing is people just sort of being like, oh, you know, you're McCabe and sort of trying to uh, <laughs> suss him out, which is something that happens. Um, oh, one more. Well, we should move on to uh, Julie Christie, uh, Mrs. Miller showing up. But I did want to make note of something I, I wrote down, which was like when the chippies are coming to town, um, we get that this unbelievable so I think it's sunset, not sunrise, like unbelievable sunset shot. And it's also when they're like putting up the cross on the church. And so it's like, you get this like beautiful yeah. shot of the cross going up and the sunset. And it's like when the chippies are coming into town. Um, and it's just that Western, the thing that you see in a lot of different Westerns, movies, TV shows, what have you, where you're watching society being built. Like at first there was 
just a saloon. And and now we're getting mm-hmm. like a brothel, but we're also getting a church. And so you just sort of I mean, see... we're going to talk slash we have talked of My Darling Clementine. Mm-hmm. And it's a very similar exactly. sort of move the, that they do. The same thing happens in Deadwood in the TV show uh, where you can also sure. see Keith Carradine, <laughs> Carradine as a much older. Oh, is he in that show? Uh, briefly. Um he he okay. plays he plays uh to see does he try to get a a, a new sock or whatever whatever no. it was and... no he plays wild bill hickok so he uh he does some gambling and that does not end well for for him <laughs> he has the dead man's hand um but it is it is funny man because i saw deadwood long before i ever saw this movie and so it was funny to be like oh well, a much younger keith Carradine also meeting a terrible end uh in a western town just because he needs new socks. Oh God, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, it's 30 minutes in when the sort of like tractor pulling a wagon comes into town. There's like, at first I thought it was a train coming in, but then it's Yeah, just, it looks like a train. But then it's like a little tractor thing, like some sort of steam powered thing that's hauling the, the wagon it's in. It's a steam powered car. Yeah. Like it's the best way I could describe yeah. it. And um, it has... Uh, Julie Christie, Mrs. Miller, Constance Miller showing up. And then also in the same little wagon is uh, my girl, Ida. Yes. Um, Shelly. Shelly Duvall showing up looking Who is wonderful. Not one of the prostitutes at the time. No, that. It's, yeah, no. she's she's a she's a mail order bride <laughs> is what she is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. She yeah. shows up to marry, I think, a guy named Crawley. Bart, Bart, I think it's Coyle. Bartley? Bart Coyle. Coyle. Yeah. Coyle OK. And so, Carly, God damn it, I'm in Downton Abbey yeah. mind. Uh, so she shows up to marry this guy, uh, Bart Coyle. Um, and then, and this is just another one of those things where you get these little vignettes, these little side stories that are going on, some of which have nothing to do with McCabe. And so her entire little story is she shows up, she's a mail-order bride. Um, later on, uh, like like 30 minutes later in the movie, one of like the drunk townspeople, like, just, I think, just asks if she's a... One of the prostitutes. They assume that she's a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. and her husband gets uh, so mad that he starts a big old fight that he cannot win. He, he, loses, he loses pretty he's... badly. In the worst way, one can lose a fight. Ooh, he is quickly dispatched. Um, and so then at the we see a funeral, and we see her and Mrs. Miller show a, share a knowing glance, and then basically briefly later cut to a discussion where uh, Mrs. Miller is just like, look, she's in so many words, she's like, you were already you're having already... sex for, for like support and, and to, uh... yeah, you're doing it for room and board. You're doing it for room and board. Yeah. Now, and at least this way you get some of the money too. <laughs> like yeah. she's kind of like, you were already doing it. And so now at least you have a little bit more control and you're going to get some, some pocket money. Um, and that's kind of her whole story. Like, and that's really the last yep. we see of her. She just, you know, it does what she, that's kind of how every like. townsfolk is in this movie though. Yeah. Yeah. We just sort of see their, sad little stories that half of them end with them no longer being alive or they just sort of go on with their you know existence yeah they're they're it's hard living out there um i think that's the best case for why this is like a really great revisionist western is it takes these tropes of like oh there's the prostitute the gambler and all this stuff and it's like um this old west mentality of like you know out here you can find your way you can make your business you can like mm-hmm. succeed the way you want to succeed and it's like yeah no the the mining company is gonna like kill you and uh 
you're not going to be able to see like the civilization that you want to see mm-hmm. and it's um it's not fun no no also the prostitutes are shown in a very different way compared to like prostitutes in most oh, like western movies it's like absolutely. they're just kind of gals just chilling yeah, most of the time it's kind of like a, yeah. like a sorority house kind of thing they're sitting around it, listening it really to music, feels like a sorority hanging house. out and then they yeah well and because so what happens very quickly is uh Mrs. Miller shows up, sees the tent situation, and is like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, what's happening? You should have doors. Yeah. Her her (laughs) speech is, she's like, is anyone taking any baths? (laughs) Like, are you going to know what happens? Like, how do you know if they're actually getting their period or not? What happens when they don't? Like, what is your plan? I think she says, like, the whole town's going to be clapped up within the month. Clapped up. (laughs) Which is just amazing. Um, Julie Christie has some great lines. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, And so she convinces him very quickly that they should be in business together because and she also says she's going to import some classy women from san francisco and yes. so they're gonna bring some and some san francisco ladies who presumably just you know came over or came came around the cape and got off a boat or came from overseas or something along those lines um there is a shout out to someone mentioned something happening down in sacramento um, so I was ex- always excited for a Sacramento shout um, And then I, I just wrote down Sacramento $5. I don't remember <laughs> what the reference was, what you could do in Sacramento for $5, but something. Well, I know what you can do in this town for $5. <laughs> Have sex with Julie Christie? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so another thing this movie does, speaking of elliptical storytelling, is it's just like, at, at one point it just shows us that McCabe and Mrs. Miller are like in bed together and are sleeping together. And yeah, then, and it seems like this is like their twentieth time exactly. sleeping yeah. together. It, it, like, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it, it's sort of like they accidentally forgot yeah. the two scenes before that that established them having yeah, a relationship you, together. But turns out, no, it's, it's a great fucking scene, though. Yeah, you never and you never where seen... he's like complaining and like changing, and she's like, mm-hmm. point, she's like pointing yeah. to like the box, yeah, like money <laughs> on the dresser. Um, and yeah, and she is getting five dollars, which is like I guess the top, uh, yeah. top price. Yeah, the other girls are getting one fifty. Yeah, so that's that's a, five. That's a pretty good uh, rate comparatively. Um, he does. He calls her a funny. I, I think it's he who calls her a funny little thing in that scene. And and mm-hmm. as we like, you know, the, the, so much of the movie is about their relationship, and we later on get the sense from him that like he has real affection for her, and he's like in. There's a scene, one of his many scenes where he's just sort of talking to himself and like doing a soliloquy like a pretty good one Mm -hmm. uh with his sort of crazy way of speaking and weird figures of speech and things but he's giving the soliloquy later on in an empty room but talking to her and just sort of lamenting that there's like no sweetness without money or you know and like hey Mm -hmm. he wants a real connection with her and i think we're supposed to think she has affection for him too but she just knows she can't let herself like yeah go down that road they the way they shoot clearly worries about oh yeah him yeah. yeah, and the way they shoot her in that scene, she's got she's like hiding a little oh she's giggle, totally and it's smiling. got this really warm light yeah. around her. Yeah, and then I mean, it's Warren Beatty. Yeah, like and so just when going back to this point, just oh the other thing I also wrote down a note right around that time, uh, where I just wrote down math is hard because like not so not only does he does she point out that he doesn't know how to run a brothel, he also like can't do <laughs> he can't even know how to run the books addiction addition and subtraction and so she's like uh maybe you also need me to be keeping track of the money because you literally don't know what like 32 minus 14 is and so <laughs> she uh she yeah so right when things start going 
well for them. Um, some guys from the uh, mining company show up. Uh, capitalism, bad stuff. Um, they want to come in and just basically buy everything up and take over his land, take over the town, have monopoly. Manhattan's Michael Murphy, one of those boys. Yale himself mm-hmm. from Manhattan. Uh, Michael Murphy. He's he's really good. I like him a lot. He's his character in particular, like doesn't doesn't seem to want there to be a problem. Like he's the one, right? Who's even so they make this offer. Mm-hmm. McCabe, as always, is in completely over his head and is just like, yeah. oh, I, I don't know. I'll, I want double. They want to offer him. $5,500? And he says he wants like 14000 yes. or something. Yeah. Like way, way, way. And I, I did not do than... a inflation calculator on that dollar amount. I, I usually do when we watch a movie set that long ago. Should have done that. Around dollars like that. I'm not sure if the currency in this town, though, is equal to what a normal currency yeah. would be at yeah. the 1900s. So 14000 is a, like just shy of half a million. Okay. Oh. So they're offering him quite a they're bit. Offering, so they're offering him maybe like $100,000 or something, and he basically is a guy who wants $500,000 or something, you know, maybe two hundred to five hundred. dollars um, Yeah. So, you know, that's, which they should. Like, he yeah. has a lot of valuable land and property in this town, um, but it does just go to show that, like, <laughs> he is confident to a fault um, and thinks he's driving a hard bargain and has this great idea how, like, well, you know, so tomorrow... Um, you know, I'll, I'll, give him come my, back. I'll give him my real number and we'll really, we'll really settle this. Um, and what he doesn't... <laughs> They're gone. Yeah, he doesn't realize it's already They're too very late. Gone. The one played uh, by Yale from Manhattan is like, well, let's give him another chance. And I think if we do go up to like 6,200, maybe we could, whatever. And the older gentleman who's just with him is like, nope, not doing it. Like, he overplayed his hand. Let's, let's go. Um, and what we learned very quickly after that is we're going to leave and we're going to Send back the guys, the guns who uh, aren't going to offer him any money at all. Uh, Who don't negotiate. Yeah, as I say, as Butler says, he uh, he gets sent when an agreement can't be reached and or a a deal can't be made, and he uh, does not make deals. So, oh, and there is one one thing I wanted to um, mention right around that same time is we do get this like nice little moment where there's a birthday party for one of the girls at the. It's sweet. Awful. They like have a nice cake and they're playing music. And the only thing she's sad about is that McCabe isn't there. Mrs. And I think he's not there because he like got drunk and fell asleep in a bathtub. <laughs> is yeah. what I recall is going on. Something like that. Um, and Jill and Mrs. Miller. This is the first time we see her like taking out Life her opium. And yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which will become important because mm-hmm. even though she is the smartest person in the whole town, it's like. Her vices will still come back yeah, to get her, no matter what. Hard living. Um, you can't be at the top. Yeah. Because yeah. there's either people above you or thing you fall below. Right. And so, yeah, when it's, it's, and specifically it's when she thinks, like, someone makes a comment that, like, McCabe's gone for the night. And so that's when she goes to do it yeah. and he comes back and she has to try to hide it and everything. And they get into a fight about him having turned down the guys because she knows immediately that he over. Oh, my God. Her. Hand. Julie Christie so well executes this like face of like yeah like what are you doing yeah yeah and so they the guys take off um and then we sort of like the final I don't know like act I guess of the movie um this is around the time 
that it starts on the bridge it, for me. Yeah, I was gonna say this is around, well, this is around the time that the the cowboy shows up. Keith Carradine's character doesn't have a name; he's just the cowboy, and he's so he's fucking adorable. He's so young and he's so happy and cute, and like he just wants to have a nice time with all the ladies. And I like this is his first screen role. Yeah, and it's so funny because even now, like everything in the town, like everyone is sort of has their own motivations and there's like all this like sinister stuff hiding underneath. And so I feel like there's, I'm always worried. Like, what's he going to do? Is he going to actually lash out? Mm -hmm. No, he just is a sweet kid. He just wants to, yeah, he just wants to have sex with all of the, every woman in the brothel. Yeah. (laughs) And then get some new socks and get out of town. Um, But uh, now Nick, at what point on the bridge were you like, fuck? Oh, and that, when that twist the little freak stopped him, I'm like, oh, this yeah, is gonna end well. Yeah, I think you can tell immediately. So that around this same time is when these so the the mining company, the the deal makers go away, they send back in their place some bounty hunters essentially, some hired guns who are gonna be there to get what they want through force. And one of them is just this like Nick, is that is that a your dog? Oh no, that's my no, neighbor's that's dog. my neighbor's dog. Oh right. <laughs> That's that's just the dog outside my window. Um, just curious. There, um, but they send these these gunslinger bounty hunter types, and one yeah. of them is just this there's a punk. There's tank. a big yeah. There's a big scary yeah. guy, the biggest scariest man I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Uh, and then there's this tiny little freak who has kind of. Uh, I got a little bit of Jesse Plemons in uh, Breaking yeah. Bad vibes. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good because he looks like the kind of like sweeter somewhat more innocent one of these horrible mm-hmm. people he's like ba- baby face he's a baby face he, yeah. he he's much younger he doesn't seem as grizzled or as horrible Aww. and then he stops keith carried on the bridge and i'm just he's like doing, so oh you're fucking horrible thing where he's shooting like there's like a bottle on the frozen over river and he's yeah. not mm-hmm. trying to shoot the bottle he's trying to like shoot around it shoot the i ice guess to so, like yeah. put it break on, like, the ice. ice flow yeah and then that feels metaphorical. Yeah. And and then Keith Guardian's character shows up and he just wants to cross the bridge. And, uh, you know, God forbid that this punk kid just let a nice cowboy. And they have this, like, really tense interaction where you can tell, you can see Keith Guardian's character, like, doing the mental gymnastics. Doing the mat- like, yeah. how, what do I say to try to get out of this situation? And I think it's like when he's like, okay, you know what? Never mind, and goes to leave. And the guy's like, wait, what? What's you know? Starts asking about his gun. Let me see your gun. And then yeah. he, I think at that point, he just knows like, there's no walking away from this. And the punk kid just shoots yeah. him for no reason and and sends him floating into the frozen river. And it's extremely sad. And everyone in the town kind of just looks sadly at it and walks away. And they shrug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ebert describes that scene as basically being like. The entire movie in miniature. This is my Ebert quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, I will say, this is one of the best Ebert essays, uh, I think. This is an all. incredible Ebert it's essay. A, really, it's it's so focused on the movie. It singles out all of the things that I thought were so wonderful. And, like, it, he just, it's, it's a beautiful piece of writing. I was like, Ebert, this, you did a real good job with, good job with this one. Um, what compliment I can give to this Ebert essay is I showed Alex this movie last year. Mm-hmm. And he stopped right when the company people showed up. He was like, I just, I'm, I don't not get it. it. I'm not really into this style. I don't know where this movie's going. And he read the Ebert essay and he was like, I think I'll give oh, it another shot at some it? point. Okay. Like, we we never did because he's only here for a limited time and there was other stuff we had to watch. But he was like, 
this is one I'll probably have to try again at some point because Ebert convinced him enough that like where the movies is going is worth it and what what had come before that he'll understand why it's important mm-hmm. is so important. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So we'll get to quotes in a second. Um, but the final act of the movie has to happen first. Um, um, oh, but so there is, I don't know if it's the last exchange. No, I think maybe there's one more exchange. Yeah, because they have one more fight after this. Um, but like, Mrs. Miller tells him to go down to Portland, basically. And it's just sort of like, hey, you know, you can go just get out of here. the city. Then, you know, there's a future there. They're building a real town and everything. Um, yeah, and she gives him, like, uh, you, you can save face by saying you're going for business. Right. Yeah. And you can, exactly, like, yeah. Kind of es- escape under, like, a covered wagon so nobody even sees you leaving. Right, and you have like, a, yeah, it's, a good cover story for it. Like, I don't know how much the mining company is like we need to kill him it's more it, it feels a little bit more at first like we need to just kind of yeah. scare him away right. and if he mm-hmm. doesn't get scared away then we no, need his... to kill him but yeah, either like way they are getting the they are getting his property his so his mistake so he he has that like sort of soliloquy where he like rages against her because you know she just doesn't like understand in him or believe in him or something he goes he does go into town he talks to William Devane the lawyer Mm-hmm. Um, with some great facial hair, that guy, who um, was just like slimy as all get out. Like, yeah, he's just like, I stand up for the little guys. Yeah. He says he's going to pay him, me money, but like he's, but he's like, he like refers to himself as like the future senator and things like that. Like you can just tell he's all about his own ambition. Yeah, and and, Mc, and McCabe falls for that shit. He does, but he then so he's like, okay, great, we're going to do this, and then he goes back. You know, and shows up back in town, and this is after he's had the confrontation with the with the big scary guy with the with Butler, who's like, "Yeah, I don't make deals. <laughs> like, I'm here yeah. for the gun. What are you gonna do?" Mm-hmm. He goes back anyway, um, and then that's when the whole sort of and it happens sort of all at once. Like we see sort of everything breaking down because he comes back. The scene on the bridge happens. Um, it starts to snow, and. There's like 20, 25 minutes left in the movie when it starts to snow. And that's basically the final showdown where it becomes this like extended, like uh, unbelievable cat and it's mouse. It's one of the best movie endings sequence. of all time. Um, just and like, you know, he tries to hide out in the church and then he has to leave the church. But the bounty hunter guy goes there, shoots the arm off the. His bones. His hand explodes. Mm. Like his hand, his arm literally explodes. But he was holding a lantern, which he then obviously can't even say drops because his arm exploded. But the lantern (laughs) falls to the ground. And so while McCabe is sort of doing this like cat and mouse hiding from the various, you know, bounty hunters and trying to fight them off one by one. Meanwhile, a huge fire has started. In the church, yeah, and so all in the, the, the townspeople's attention has to go be focused on dealing with that, which allows McCabe to. Sort and of- this feels like what like actual civilization slash society will become, or what it should yeah. be is like there's these people yeah. that are all kind of banding banded together. together with a they're going to go put out a fire, and and meanwhile you have this like just the 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 old west getting killed and left in the dust. We get you know. one final 
uh, instance of McCabe drinking his horrifying uh, raw egg in a glass of whiskey that we see him drink. What, what is... Is that a real drink? <laughs> I was laughing. It keeps your, it keeps your coat shiny. <laughs> I mean, my only guess is just like he likes to be drunk and like he's not really eating. He wants the protein. Yeah, kind yeah. of. He's like not eating. So he just like puts an egg in his whiskey. It's just obviously just disgusting. Um, I, I did make a note of when he has that earlier in the movie. Meanwhile, Julie Christie has like this amazing meal of like four fried eggs, like strong black tea. I'm like, yeah, that that's a good, that's a good hearty meal. He's it's a good frontier a good frontier breakfast. breakfast. Not... She he's uh having his egg and whiskey. Um, he does at least satisfyingly take out uh that punk kid, right? Like yes. shoots him. He he yeah he takes them all. Yeah, out. He takes them all out. And I like that that the kid ends up also floating in the water mm-hmm. like he yep. ends up floating in that bath instead of the yep. river exactly um he takes them all out but not before he gets shot uh a couple of times many times a couple of times too <laughs> a couple, many. yeah a couple of times um and then we get our kind of amazing ending where even before he's died we see that like mrs miller knows what's happening like she knows it's over she knows how this is going mm. down so she's taken herself. There's like a like a Chinatown has popped up in yeah. town, which is like another thing you see in pretty much all these westerns as as society evolves. And so she goes down to the Chinatown area, and we sort of leave her just sort of uh, in a daze in an opium den, sort of stare, staring at like a while, shiny uh, yeah. like vase or sculpture or some little thing, while uh, the cave is dead in the snow, and it's extremely sad. Amazing cross cutting. Yeah. Beautiful, sad, just all all time movie ending. Yeah, for me. So yeah, good stuff. Sad movie. Yeah, yeah it's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer. Something about westerns with uh, snow in mm-hmm. them. Just total bummers. Between this and uh, the Great Silence. <laughs> I, we didn't. We made it through the entire movie without talking about um, McCain's oh. coat. By the way. Speaking of, it's a coat. Oh, what a coat! So it's it's super. If you've, I think, if you've seen an image, this from is this the movie, easiest pick for fashion corner. Um, fashion corner. Like, yeah. Also, I, I I would like to mention something my mom pointed out when we were watching this movie is there's one point towards the beginning where McKay visits Miss Miller mm-hmm. and he has his hat on inside and she says, "Take that hat off. It's bad luck." Mm-hmm. And every time he puts the hat on, the rest of the movie, it's when he's fucking himself. It's when over. bad things happen. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So another good use of uh, yeah, costuming. Yeah. 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 Poor McCabe. Um, but yeah, great coat though. He looked so warm. Like I think he's supposed to look ridiculous <laughs> in that coat, but I don't know. I'd wear it. It looks yeah. pretty cool. It seems like in every Warren Beatty movie, he has to have some insane piece of clothing that, yeah, or hairstyling mm-hmm. like a shampoo, where it's just like, why do you still look so good in this piece of shit? Yeah. Did you guys see the Twitter prompt maybe a week ago that was like, what's the hottest anyone's ever looked on the mm-hmm. screen? You could just pull like half of the cast of Shampoo. Yeah. Yeah. Shampoo's the best fucking movie. I haven't seen that in so... I saw that movie when I was like too young and I haven't seen it... I think I, I literally saw it when I was like 12 or something. It's so good. I haven't seen it. Everyone in that movie's so fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> I like how I'm trying to go on about how good that movie is and Nick is just like... So hot. I mean... No, well, because I, I think the movie's... Hot. I think the movie's pretty good but not incredible no but it's incredible the people are fine in that movie 
Yeah. Also, fun Carrie Fisher performance in Shampoo. Yeah, God, I haven't seen. Oh yeah, she is. I forgot yeah. she was in that. She's in a small part, but it's yeah. it's very fun to see her pop up. Um, is Keith the best Carradine? I mean, I don't want to like speak ill of the dead, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think he's he's really he's really good in everything. I, I'm, I'm just going back and forth between him and John, looking at their filmographies right now, like. Man, I don't know. Both of them are so good. Yeah. Have you seen the Deadwood, the movie from 2019, Jenna? No, I didn't watch it. Okay. Why? I'm oh, curious. just he's he's in the movie as well, and um... Keith Carradine is. Mm-hmm. Huh? How? I mean, again, not really a spoiler alert for history, but he dies in like the fourth episode of Deadwood, like real dead. So. Ah oh, man, I was just gonna yeah, start. Sorry, I've, I was on episode three. I have three. bad news for you about what happens to <laughs> Wild Bill Hickok in actual history. I, I don't. I don't know who Wild Bill Hickok is. This he is got, really he, the dead man's hand. The dead man's hand. Yeah. I don't know what that have is. Have you heard of a have you heard of Calamity Jane? No. It's the coyote's mom. The what? What's a coyote's mom? Isn't that Calamity Coyote? Wasn't that from Tiny Toons? Am I getting my uh, cartoon coyotes wrong? I, I think you're Tiny right. Tims. <laughs> you are, Every Tiny single Tunes. word you, you say a real room. I'm right. I'm, I'm just actually, I'm I'm right. actually curious, but I'm trying to think of Calamity Coyote. It's the Wiley Coyote uh Okay. Uh, but, tiny Toons. Oh, by the version. way, Keith Carradine. Oh, Tiny Toons, really not good Tiny Fargo, Tims. By the way, Keith Carradine's really good in the TV. Sorry, the TV show Fargo. <laughs> sorry, I, I was like, <laughs> wait, TV, where is he in Fargo? He's Lou Salverson in in Fargo. He's in the um, okay, the first season, and then in season. Oh, I did. I did see that one. The one with prequel, the prequel, and Patrick Wilson plays him as a younger man. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, season one's the only one I I watched actually. The one with yeah, the, me uh, too. Name? Um, uh, Martin Freeman. So, uh, but what's her name? The Billy girl Bob from uh, the girl from that show, uh, <laughs> Yellow Jackets. Melanie Linsky. Isn't she in Fargo season one? And that's Allison Tolman. Oh, very, very similar looking. Very very similar looking. Um, so sorry, sorry, he plays he plays Wild Bill Hickok in the 2019 movie. It must it must be a flashback or something because uh, yeah, yeah probably real dead. Um, Brad Dorf is in it though. That's Brad fun. Dorf, yeah, in the whole show. Um, Oh really? That's literally what okay, I, sorry. That's the first thing I ever. Well, I guess it's not the first thing I ever saw Brad Dorf. That's not. But, you know exactly what the first okay, thing you probably but, saw Brad yeah, Dorf in. The first thing I ever saw Brad Dorf in, where he looks like a human, <laughs> is in uh, Deadwood, where he's just like a as, as regular a guy as he can. Play. That's mean to Warm Tongue. I I am very mean to Warm Tongue. Um, I'm so sorry. Hold on, just back up. So I don't know, like Nick, when do you think you learned about like Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane and sort of like all those frontier folks? Was that like in school or like? Yeah, I, I don't know that I actually learned right? it in school. It's just like one of those things that you I'm sort of know to, from like watching cartoons. Right, that's what I was just trying to figure out because there's not, there's not a generational like you know, there's not a good reason why we would know something from. Well, this yeah. is the this is the thing. yeah. It's not like it's not like I took a like Billy Billy the Kid it's, it's, in uh, fifth grade uh, American right. history. It's one thing to not know what Tiny Tunes is. That's fine. It, it's it's like I thought he said Tiny Tims. I know what Tiny okay. Tunes is. <laughs> Sorry, I was about to explain to you. <laughs> Didn't like, Spielberg create I was about Tiny Tunes? Explain to you what Tiny Tunes were. So I'm glad. I'm glad you sorted that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Steve, I meant like Steve Christmas Spielberg. Carol had a spinoff on Cartoons, multiple Tiny Tims, and I was like. You've seen you've, Steven no. Spielberg presents Tiny Toon Adventures mm-hmm. was the full name of it. Oh God, I watched every episode, um, and I'm pretty sure there oh, were yeah. like movies that I rented also. Um, God, mm-hmm. I love Tiny Toons. Um, 
But yeah. Anyway. Sorry, I'm just trying to figure out. I've heard of the name Wild Bill Hillcock, and we mentioned this on My Darling Clementine, where it's like, I heard of the name Wyatt Earp. I had no fucking idea what Wyatt Earp did or anything. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how Um, I know about him. He's a guy who's... Wild Bill is most famous for being killed pretty much yeah <laughs> while playing poker also, that's, that's pretty I much like his get, or at least i used to get wild bill and buffalo bill confused buffalo bill cody okay have you heard of buffalo bill cody dylan yes but i think that's because he has like relation to new mexico like i know okay. buffalo bill and i annie know oakley? um billy the kid and annie okay, oakley buffalo most bill because cody like they actually have like okay and because they had like actual new mexico gotcha. like i've seen like I've been to, like, Fort Sumner Museum okay. and where it's like, hey, we got Bill the Kid here. Yeah, and I realize there's a lot of sort of frontier stuff that I have a enhanced uh, knowledge of because, like, I did, like, growing up in Sacramento, like, where, like, Fort Sutter was and, gold, you know, like, Gold Rush stuff. Like, we I spent so much time. Like, I learned way more about, like, Gold Rush and frontier stuff than I did about, like, colonial history. And I think my friends sure. are from the East Coast spent mm-hmm. a lot more time on a... You know, that kind of thing. So I guess that makes sense. Is Edward James Olmos in Deadwood? Or am I mixing up with Ian McShane in his role in Battlestar Galactica? Because I Edward thought James Olmos uh, is in Battlestar Galactica. Ian McShane is in Deadwood. They look Eddie so Jimmy. similar to me, though. <laughs> Eddie Jimmy Olmos? Eddie Jimmy Olmos. I wish Edward James Olmos was in Deadwood. That'd be cool. Um, he would fit in well with the vibe of what I, I know. I think Ian McShane would show. fit in well on Battlestar Galactica too. Um, they kind of would. Ian They're McShane both like the grizzled, sense. most grumpy, fucky men ever. Also, Ian McShane would make a little bit more sense in the Edward James almost role in Battlestar Galactica, considering that one of the other main characters is uh, supposed to be Edward James Olmos's son and is like a pasty <laughs> British like, guy. And you're like, how? How? How is that your son? Come on. You got like this Mexican Edward James almost. Who plays his son? Uh, it's it a, is it's like, a British actor. Oh, he looks like a Ken. Jamie Bamber he's... is the British actor who plays him. He, he looks oh, like I a never Ken Barbie doll. Name. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, I had a big old crush on him when I was in college. He is a, he does. He looks like a, like a Ken doll. Yeah. He looks like yeah. a little. Do, do you, did you have a crush on Timothy Elephant in Deadwood? Oh my God. Well, not so much in Deadwood. More, more unjustified. Okay. Well, because he he also looks like a Ken doll to me. And... He does, but he his he's not. He is, he's pretty handsome in Deadwood, but nothing compared to Justified. He's got a stash. He does. He has a stash. That's one of those things where you look up the real guy, um, and his like every person with ridiculous facial hair in Deadwood. You look up the real people they're playing, and the faces are more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah. Oh my god. That's fun. That mustache is the size of my dog. Yeah. I was trying. I was trying to look up uh, Leah Dama on the mm-hmm. internet, and all I'm getting is like a full ass biography of the fictional character <laughs> Leah Dama. I can't. I can't find this actual actor to see what else he's been. Uh, he I don't think on, he's, he, uh, His other biggest thing was he was on Law and Order UK for a long time. It oh. Just found out they did a Law and yeah. Order UK. I watched. <laughs> That's news to he me was too. Just on, I I just watched another like a little British mystery miniseries um that just came out a couple months ago and he was in I, like he pops up in like british crime stuff a lot so his his most popular non-battlestar galactica role on letterbox is a movie called titanic 666 so that's kind of where yeah, we're at a t- on tv Bander. actor not not something that's that why makes i don't sense. go to letterbox for my uh look go-to because i'm like <laughs> a television actor True, true. That's and dead ones even only on there because they like treat you know because it has standalone like don't get me started on Letterboxd putting like 
tele- super kind of television TV show. episodes yeah. as uh, yeah, but like the Battlestar Galactica um, letterbox for thing some is, stuff is, it is the like pi- it's a three hour pilot. Yeah. Like it's it not a television the sh- miniseries is what that was. Come on, Letterbox, get it. I want a cleaner delineation. Get get TV off Letterboxd. That is my... I don't know. A three-hour, two-episode pilot was... for Battlestar Galactica. I... Yeah. 18-hour, 18 18-episode 18 season three of Twin oh Peaks. How, I'll race you a 21-hour baseball, Ken, Ken Burns. You guys, they, yeah, not, not movies. Um, no, 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 but would you sit down and watch the whole thing in a theater? And I would with Ken Burns' baseball. <laughs> I mean, if I wanted like with. a really excellent nap, probably. Um, no, if I, it's <laughs> good. Oh. I, it's good. I'm just saying, I'm not going to make it 21 hours in the theater with. Uh, I, I find Ken Burns' documentaries to be very soothing. Um, that is not very a knock soothing. on. That's a, that's a good way to put movie. it. Didn't 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 Twin Peaks: The Return premiere at Cannes? Am I wrong about that? Um, it did, might. It, did the, the can the can what festival? Can- I know um, the Cannes Film Festival. That's so, correct. But, uh, top, like, the top whole of the thing Lake China showed Girl at Cons? played at Cannes. Also, um, sometimes they just like show television there. If, if you're an auteur, the, the whole the whole thing showed at Cannes. I needed no, it probably the just, whole thing. Probably just the first. Episode. People were clamoring for the rest of it. I bet <laughs> two episodes were screened at Cannes. Okay. Uh, do we have any more thoughts on McKay before we uh, transition to? They have Did a the piano whole. Win- they have a whole line graph of Twin Peaks's episode by episode Rotten Tomato score. <laughs> there is a massive drop off in the middle, and then a massive drop off at the end. Oh, those people are of season of, of of the return. Of the return oh. episodes twelve and thirteen go from a hundred to like eighty, and then oh, what is episode eight? Episode eight's got to be a one hundred. Epi- well, episode eight's the episodes one, one through eleven are all a hundred, and then it goes eighty eighty. With episodes twelve and thirteen, then back to a hundred for a couple, and then the penultimate episode is at ninety, and then the final episode is at like eighty or seventy. The um, episode eight is the one that like just had an anniversary this week, and everyone was like worshiping at the Showing... altar of episode eight of Twin Peaks: The Return. I I missed that it I had the anniversary. I think... Otherwise, I would have been too. I... I didn't see that in all my doom scrolling. I was going to say it was e- easy to get. Uh... I mean, I just saw yeah. like lots of pictures of like I think. Black and white mushroom clouds, I think, is what. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, it's an atomic bomb, yeah. and um, that's that's most that's mainly what people posted. That's what I know exactly. About it yeah, that's... there's like a there's like a seven minute performance by Nine Inch Nails in that. That was the other thing oh. I saw. Okay, so I, I, I want to take like, an hour to talk about. <laughs> I want to take like an hour to talk about Lost Highway, but um, I did not know that it has like a hard rock soundtrack, including like a bunch of Nine Inch Nails. Really, it has. Rammstein, which is a, a German hard rock Whoa. band that I have not heard. I mean, they were they, they kind of had some crossover. You've never heard of Rammstein? That I haven't heard since the nineties. Oh uh, yeah, Duhash that, that, was a major that's... radio hit when I was in junior high. <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. Around the that time Lost Highway came out, uh, so they were they were having a moment. But yeah, it's like it's a it's a, has a big old hard rock soundtrack that I was I I never I, I should not go into these movies with expectations, but uh, that was not. What I, I, was I I was wrong on Lost Highway. I thought um. What's his name? The guy from the Bill thing. Holman? The guy that's in um Kurt Russell? I thought Kurt, it was Kurt Russell's jawline on Lost No, Highway's Bill Pullman. Poster. Mm. That makes sense. It it does look like Bill Pullman's mm-hmm. too. God. The POTUS himself. What a movie. Um Yeah, it oh, is. It's got Jack Nance in it. Let's fucking go. This so I almost oh, I I 
uh, just made my letterbox review about how hot Bill Pullman is. Giovanni Ribisi. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Gary Busey. So briefly that at the end of the movie, Matt turned to I me. I forgot he was. Matt turned to me and goes, "Where was Giovanni Ribisi?" Mink stole is it? Yeah. Um, but you, obviously, you've seen it, Nick, right? Robert, yeah, Robert Blake. You're not a, a Robert Blake head, Dylan. I look. I'm just going through. I had I didn't to explain. I had Blake. to remind you, Matt who Robert Blake was. What? What? One. One should not be a Robert Blakehead. I mean, I don't they know didn't what he prove... did. He did he get me too? <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, he was oh, tried no. for murdering his wife. <laughs> oh. They didn't. He, oh. He was acquitted. I think they didn't prove it. Uh, Wait. Who, who? Who was that? Um. Not to be confused with Phil Spector. That... Different this... guy. No. Yeah, was that Natalie who... Wood? No. No. That's Robert Wagner. No. That's. Yeah. No, this was Robert Robert Blake like fully was like at a restaurant in Hollywood with his wife. She went out to the car and was promptly shot. And he's like, I don't know what happened. Did he go out with her? No. He was tried and acquitted and then uh, he was found liable in a a civil court for her wrongful death. No, they were like they think there were hitmen or a hitman involved or something. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. He has the creepiest face of all time. Um, oh, but as I say, like I almost made my letterbox review that I spent the first like forty-five minutes of this of the movie going like, okay, how was Balthazar Getty third build above the title? And then yeah. right around the second I had that thought, then I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. now I know why. Um, what a weird movie! What a weird movie! I I really liked I it. I it know who this with me guy really is. Well. I mean, you wouldn't. It's fine. He's, he was an actor. Um, he is an actor. He's um from the Getty family, uh, as in J. Paul Getty and and the Getty. You're serious. Do you know who J. Paul Getty is? Isn't he like a murderer? No, no, a uh, rich oil guy. Um. Oh, then a maybe, murderer. Maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe. A um, did you? Did you? Did anyone besides me see all the money in the world? That insane movie where they replaced uh, oh, Kevin Spacey. Oh, no. gotcha. no! No, is he is he the, the money? Kid who's kidnapped in that movie is like Balthazar Getty's like dad or grandfather. Uh, tiny uh, guy. Gotcha. He's, he's one of he's in that line. He was in the TV show Brothers and Sisters. It's fine. It doesn't matter except for he has a crazy name and I know who he is. And so when he wasn't in the first forty five minutes of the movie, I was confused. And then he's in the rest of the movie. And then you saw the rest of the movie, and we're still I was confused. confused. Um, so. I've just hijacked this. Uh, we can we can also talk about what other people were watching this week. Um, it is very good. It, it's cool to watch that, uh, knowing that it was like right next to um, Mahone Drive in his how in in his filmography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this was like what two years before. Yeah, this is four. So this is like three, three to four years before. Three. Yeah, okay. and then Inland Empire. Yeah, we got straight story years, in between, and then on the other side. So his he, all three of his LA movies are deep are about like identity and duality yeah. and like but wait is the straight story not take place in la and about duality no, and identity? i don't think so i haven't caught up with that one yet but um the comment it's the duality of riding the, the comment i made to <laughs> matt on the way home is like when it comes to david lynch movies there's to me something like blue velvet which is a super fucked up movie but i can understand what's happening throughout the entire film like it it, it plays out yeah. in a it's it's pretty narrative line. linear and then yeah. on the far end of the spectrum is inland empire where inland empire. i don't know what's going on in any individual scene that i'm watching and it's like <laughs> yep. and then in the middle the ones i like the best are lost highway and mulholland drive where each Fire individual scene i understand what's happening in the scene but cohesively you're it's hard to sort of keep track of what's happening um mm-hmm. 
Yeah, good movie. I, I really hope that they put, I'm assuming this 4K restoration is going to be put out this year, the one I saw in the theater, allegedly. The the rumor was the Inland Empire isn't coming till 2023. Okay. And my guess is this will come either after or maybe it will be packaged together. Oh that's just my guess. I don't have any insider, they, or I haven't seen. I haven't seen any insider yeah. information. But the rumors about Inland Empire have been going on for a while, and the Lost Highway rumors are pretty okay. new. And I mean, how long ago did you see Inland Empire in theaters? Like a couple months ago. A, f- a f- yeah, a few months yeah. ago, and this one just and came this one out just in theaters came, yeah. again. So my my guess is that it would come out later than that. So we're, we might be looking at like springtime next year, which kind of that sucks, does but. suck because I really want to watch it again somebody somebody has a restoration of it i think kino yeah. maybe um or maybe shout factory but he didn't like he like didn't approve the restoration oh, of it there was some there was some like mm. color grading or something like that that he he um wasn't happy with so i'm assuming that the new one uh whenever it does come out will be uh, a little bit a little bit okay. better yeah it looked it looked really really good um on the the version i saw in the theater um i did feel somewhat bad well i didn't feel bad for the guy sitting behind me because he talked throughout the entire movie just non-stop Ugh. out loud running commentary um worst people in the world but <laughs> but i and also he was just like out loud pointing out locations he recognized and it was like dude Ugh. this movie takes place in la we we're here. sitting in la you do not have to be like hey that's this location i'm like yeah i know like we all live here it's fine what are you doing but I did what I gathered from God. The, when the movie ended. I think one, he was super high, and two, <laughs> seems to have been brought there by his friends, never having seen a David Lynch movie before. So I think he may have just been overwhelmed by everything that was happening. It was either talk it through or have a very exactly. Good time. So I was like, maybe he was just like grounding himself because, like, afterwards he's like, maybe. Yeah, that was crazy. I've never. Uh, I hadn't seen any of this uh this guy this david guy i hadn't seen seen one of these before and i was like oh buddy you just really went through it didn't you <laughs> um but yeah um oh okay so now that i just hijacked that we gotta rate mccabe and mrs miller guys oh yes oh yeah uh, up up four thumbs up, thumbs up good. and it's uh, four stars for me three stars three no i'm just kidding this is okay. four come on come on guys what are we doing um all right and then i i referenced i know i Let's sort go. of referenced a few different uh ebert uh quotes but let's let's actually uh read them dylan why don't Jenna, you... is there stuff going on in your neighbor's apartment right now <laughs> phone like, calls like, well... okay you know what Sh- shaking the gate is not going to get you through so i live in an apartment building there's a different <laughs> apartment building next door the metal gate that you have to like get buzzed into either unlock or get buzzed into to get let into that building oh gotcha is directly outside my window um mm. and i'm on the third floor but like the way the street is it's like they're not very far below me <laughs> next door so i could just hear <laughs> oh, someone God. screaming fedex and shaking the uh gate can you hear that is the door not working the door's not yeah working. I really hope she wouldn't be able to pick all that up on the microphone. Just, toss, just have her toss it, have her toss it up to right, you, just and stick like my you hand catch out it. The just be like, I'll, I'm on the other side I'll of the gate. The... Just throw it to me. I'll drop it down. We'll be fine. Okay, I think I think the crisis has been averted. <laughs> Should I get up and close my window? Probably. I don't no, care. It's, okay. it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, all right, um, yes, go, Dylan, you go first because you you said uh, I almost spoiled your quote. Oh yeah. Um, 
go to it. Um, Life is cheap here. The film shows one of the most heartbreaking deaths in the history of the Western. A goofy kid, played by Keith Carradine, has ridden into town and visited all the girls in the house. Now he has started across the suspension bridge. A young gunslinger approaches from the other side and cold-bloodedly talks to him before being shot to death. The kid knows he is going to get shot. He tries to be friendly and ingratiating, but the time has come. The town looks on and passive. You don't want to be caught on a bridge facing a guy like that. We realize at the end of the film that this episode on the bridge is the whole story in a microcosm. Some people are just incapable of not getting themselves killed. Yep, that's a good one. What about you, Nick? Um, I have a big, long paragraph, so I'm just going to snip it down to the end where he says, Nor do the people line up and talk uh, and talk one after another like characters in a play. They talk when and as they will, and we understand it's not important to hear every word. Sometimes all that matters is the tone of a room. It's a good yeah. One. yeah, and then it's, yeah, like I said, the whole essay is so good. It's really, really hard to pick. I liked both of those. Um, I'll also just uh, read from the first paragraph, which is what I quoted earlier about this is his perfect film. He goes on to say, this is one of the saddest films I have ever seen, filled with a yearning for love and home that will not ever come. Not for McCabe, not with Mrs. Miller, not in the town of Presbyterian Church, which cowers under a gray sky, always heavy with rain or snow. The film is a poem, an elegy for the dead. Yeah, this was a, this was a good it. one. <laughs> From old Raj. So, yeah. Um, good stuff. Bummer. Bummer movie yeah but yeah like i said but it's but it's so pretty and i i do find it sort of like weirdly kind of soothing to watch despite its uh mm-hmm. sadness so all right let's wrap up i know with like our crazy schedule god knows when the last time we checked on what people have been watching but uh do you guys have anything you want to highlight that you've watched recently yeah. well we checked in we checked in last week because we yeah. had uh you haven't listened to the Equinox Flower app channel? Uh, <laughs> oh, I talked about Nelly not liking Crash. Nelly didn't like Crash? Oh my god. No. Okay, I'm not gonna tell It was big so, news. Sorry to I mean I guess I could go listen, but give me the, the short spiel and Give me the deets. Like well what I what I said was uh she she likes her Cronenberg to be uh full of sick disgusting mm-hmm. stuff. And not the sex stuff. Ow. She likes uh, she likes Jeff Goldblum vomiting okay. spontaneously more so than like. We are we're on different ends of people. the Cronenberg spectrum because I, yeah. I do not like watching Jeff Goldberg's skin fall skin fall off, but I, I did enjoy the like weird psychosexual stuff in Crash. So I like Crash. Yeah, Crash is good. Um, did you guys see? Yes. Did you and her go see Crimes of the Future? No, not yet. We were actually going to see it on. Uh, Friday we were out of town and we talked about seeing it Friday night and then the last screening that they had was at like 7.30 and we're like it's it's 8 o'clock and we haven't even ordered our dinner yet we're not gonna well it's already on VOD so you guys want to watch it now I think I'll probably just run it it, sometime this week it's more it's more gross body stuff like there's a little bit of like psychosexual weirdness (laughs) again I wish this was a video podcast sometimes because Nick's little just (laughs) there's some really like there there talking about my squeamishness there was some stuff that like pushed my limits in uh in crimes of the future crimes of the future. a lot of yeah. a lot of yeah rooting messing with people's bodies um you guys haven't watched society yet have you no i so i think that arrow tends to do um online sales oh, yeah. that correspond to barnes and noble okay. sales so they'll sell their movies for like three bucks on uh 
iTunes. So I'll probably just buy oh, it yeah. on iTunes when that's available for three dollars, as opposed to paying like twenty bucks yeah. for the movie itself. Yeah. Did you see Elvis this week, Channa? I did not. I decided I did not want to spend two hours and forty minutes uh, in the theater seeing Elvis this weekend. Yeah. Can you guys hear Sneaky now, like going buck wild at the? Uh, no. Delivery. Okay. He is. He's going insane at the door. Oh, I heard him a little. Yep. Um, no, did, did, I, uh, we might see Elvis next weekend over the long. I'm, I'm taking a bunch of days off next weekend for the long weekend, long nice. holiday. So we might. This weekend is like the most Jana box office I've ever seen, where it's Top Gun and Elvis both at like 35 million competing. Oh, I hadn't even looked at what the Elvis people are. So people actually went and saw Elvis. Elvis is doing okay. Elvis is being seen. Okay. Elvis is doing okay nice. in its opening weekend. Awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah, that box office run for Maverick is so funny. All time. It's unbelievable. Like, I I really kind of can't believe Like, it makes so much sense because I think people are going back to see it over and over, and they're telling all their friends to go see it. And, like, yeah. It's nice that this isn't happening for an MCU movie. Well, and, yeah. well, and I, but I think, honestly, it's doing something that an MCU movie can't do, which is, like, I know Spider-Man... No Way Home made like eight million dollars, or sorry, eight hundred million dollars. Um, but like that—that's like that was a weird thing because of all all the Spider Men and what have you. But like something like Maverick, I could tell my parents to go see it. You know, my parents can't go see that Spider Man mm-hmm. movie. They're, they're not going to know what's going on in it. And so it's like, dis- despite the like the large and fervent MCU fan base, like there is a benefit to being a blockbuster that like you can just go see and like mm-hmm. probably saw the first one. Frankly, even if you didn't, you could go see this one. To yeah, be honest, you, like yeah, you can you can piece it together. Yeah, it'll it'll walk you through what happened. Um, so yeah, I just think like it it goes to show that there is a benefit to not having to be like, well, this is the thirty fifth movie in a ever expanding and impossible to follow uh, cinematic universe. So good for Maverick makes me happy. Yeah. Right, what did you watch? Or right, I guess someone tell me what you watched now that we uh, had the crash discourse. Okay, so um, I watched a uh, Plesiotesco called Revolver, which is uh, a movie starring Oliver Reed. Nice. Doing an American accent for some reason. Oh boy. Yeah, not sure why. <laughs> how, uh, how, how does that go pretty... I thought, well, th- so the whole thing is like dubbed because it's an Italian movie. Um, I didn't realize that it was actually him doing the voice until I read about it later. <laughs> I thought it was somebody else dubbing his dubbing voice, his voice oh for him because it was unrecognizable. And I'm like, why did they just not have him do his own voice? It, like, it doesn't matter like what <laughs> he's speaking English. He, he can be American or English. It's taking place in Italy. So That's either way, it's not funny. like there's no verisimilitude there. So, yeah, I don't know why he chose to do that, but it was a cool movie. Um, it's about a uh, cop. It sounds who, like a John Woe movie, honestly. Yeah, it's a cop who uh, his his wife gets kidnapped and he has to let out like a low level crook to free her. And then he decides to, as soon as that crook gets freed, he decides to kidnap him to help his wife. All right. So cool. Cool movie. Um, I watched a pair of Johnny toe movies, um, both from the same year and both were actually nominated for the, uh, Hong Kong film awards, best picture. Ooh. Wow. The, yeah, two movies the same year, both nominated for Best Picture, pretty strong. Uh, running at a time, which is the weaker of the two, it's uh, Andy Lau is a guy who's like 
dying and he decides to uh play a game with a um hostage negotiator what year is this uh both 99 okay and then the uh, other movie is called the mission which is incredible and it's about (laughs) a like a triad boss um somebody puts a hit out on his life so he hires like five hitmen or not like five bodyguards to uh protect him and there's just like some of the best shootouts i've ever seen like many of the best shootouts i've ever seen in my life are in this movie it's uh (laughs) it's really good um and then i watched top hat which is uh great for sarah ginger rogers movie i think i so i've only seen two of their movies together um i think i like this better than or i I think i like swing time better than this but Mm, this doesn't have blackface which is pretty yeah (laughs) this is what i've heard it's supposed to swing time which we're gonna talk about later in the book (laughs) certainly does uh baseball update the uh astros are no hitting the yankees yeah, again yeah, I just saw that. no way five, through five innings yeah, which is still pretty early cool. but it couldn't be any other team though like really it has yeah that's really, I, know, I, know, I, know. I know that the yankees and they're up three nothing it's the same the can't same it be idea. a team that everyone like has no feelings like, yeah about I, I know everyone other, feels like, like the, the yankees the need to be taken down a peg but yeah why, why not what? Yeah, why? I don't know, what the Tigers, the, the Royals. I mean, I know. What if it was the Angels? Sure, great. Yeah. Fun. But yeah. Anyway, so uh, we watched UHF, the Weird Al movie. It's oh. How does that hold up? Funny. Yeah, that really I'd never seen it before. <clears throat> yeah, it was. Uh, it's got some like Mel Brooksian type type bits to it. So we had a good time. And then um, last night I watched Mouchette, which uh, poses poses the question, what if the donkey from Alhazard Balthazar was just a teenage girl? Oh, God. God. Are you serious? (laughs) It's a a real bummer. Oh, God. Good movie, though. I would strongly recommend (laughs) watching. I, I don't know if I can watch it then. Uh, right, so hold on, I, are you are you spoiling Alhazard Balthazar for me? Does does things not turn out well for that that donkey? In that Jesus, movie? Christ. I'm gonna, nothing I'm gonna, turns out I'm, well for anyone in that movie. It is. I'm gonna spoil. I'm gonna spoil. Uh, Robert Versant's entire filmography okay. for you. Nothing turns out well anyone for anyone ever? in any of his movies, except I guess. I guess Joan of Arc like fulfills her. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea that I like the idea that Joan of Arc has the best. <laughs> no, yeah. actually, Man, Man, es- Man Escaped. Um, True, is is not as depressing as uh, pretty much. I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at Pickpocket. Like, does I yeah? Does the card counter have a sad ending, or is it like he he has redemption? I don't know. I guess it depends on both. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this one's a bummer. Brisson is kind of like um, Altman in a way where I don't really have a favorite. Like mm-hmm. I could pick one of a handful of his movies as, as my favorite of his. Yeah. Jana, the best way I could describe a Balthazar. Balthazar at random. Balthazar at random is it's more of emotional torture porn than come and see is in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
It's just it's unbearable. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I really liked your Letterboxd review for Mouchette, though. Nick. <laughs> Bobby, call him Bobby. Imagining Bobby Brisson just tearing it around in bumper cars for hours doing research for this and yucking it up and having the time of his life without a care in the world. <laughs> there's a there's an extended bumper I've... car scene. Okay, yeah. Sounds just fun. the one line summary for this movie is a young girl living in the French countryside suffers constant indignities at the hand of alcoholism and her fellow man. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something <laughs> and, that I would like want to watch less than this. <laughs> Alcoholism and her fellow exactly. man. <laughs> That's an amazing uh, plot description. And pretty accurate. Uh, Dylan, what did you watch this week? I actually had quite a week of movies. I um, Damn, I had my thing open that I was getting into Johnny Toe's filmography. Okay. <clears throat> I watched uh, Naruse's Floating Clouds. Pretty good. Um, What's better, that or Floating Weeds? Flo- you can only have one, well, floating, only one object. floating object i think floating weeds sorry floating clouds is the better movie but i'm not throwing away no movie if i could only have one i'd still keep floating weeds but fl- floating clouds sure. was was pretty damn good floating clouds has a new favorite um edit for me it's towards the beginning they have a flashback to the basically the setup is is this woman had an affair with this man and she he left her and is now like trying to abandon her and like he mistreats her this whole fucking movie it's pretty unbearable but we flash back to them in like indochina and um they finally are about to share their first kiss together after they had first met and right as they start having about like right as they move in together, we cut to them presently having a kiss after all the pain they've experienced since that moment. Just that that was filmmaking in a moment. Um, then I watched a movie called City of Pirates. Uh, have any of you guys heard of the direct the um, Chilean director Raúl Ruiz? I've heard of him. I don't him. think so, okay. but I haven't seen any of his stuff. Oh. <laughs> This movie is a trip, guys. I, I would really like to show you guys this movie, but it's, I was only able to see it on like that um, public archives website. It's not like streaming anywhere. Um, this is the most fucked up movie I think I've ever seen. This, at least this, maybe the C year, is the most fucked up movie I've ever seen. It's how do I describe this? Um, a woman is almost like a housemaid for someone. They go to an island, and she encounters a couple people there, mainly a boy who killed his entire family, and another dude who imprisons her and has, like, he's like the guy from Split, honestly, is the best way I could put it. And um, there's an there's an image I, when Janet did the whole Inland Empire thing and was like there's an image at the end of this movie that will never leave my brain. City of Pirates had one of those where I was just like, that's fine. I didn't need to sleep. I'm now I'm just mad you brought up the image from the end of Inland Empire <laughs> again. Now it's back in my head. It's upsetting. Well, watch City of Pirates and I, I want a comparison okay. of of the two. I rewatched. Um, got it right here. One of my favorite old films vampire because it was like hmm. it's like 60 minutes nice. it's a great rewatch is it in the ebert book it should be so. it's, it's not. not it's so fucking good right. nosferatu, oh, nosferatu is. is okay 
Is it in one of the all other Ebert books, though? Uh, let me see. Um, while you're looking that up, I can say I also watched um, a movie called On the Beach Alone at Night. It's, it, that was my Hong Sang Soo randomly mm. picked for the week. Hi, Steven. Uh, <laughs> yes, we have to say hi, Steven. I thought now. you were going to just let us sit here in silence and, and make No, no, I was going to. Uh, yeah, I, I thought about being purposely antagonistic th- uh, via omission, but no, I'm turning over a new Aww. leaf. Hi, Steven. <laughs> um, yeah, Steven this one, does it. I, I saw his ranking list, and I think this was like his number two. Two? Maybe? I think it was two only behind The Day, the he, day arrives, he Arrives, I believe, was his number one. Which is ironic because I think... Have you guys been following this dude's Hong Sing so- Su Twitter poll? Um, I haven't been following it closely. I've, I've seen it. I, I'm just curious to like know what, what does well, given I'm diving in. And I think the final is uh, On the Beach Alone at Night versus The Day He Arrives, I think. Um, Vampire not in the books. Crazy. That is that is that is an atrocious call. That is terrible. Um, on the beach alone at night. Nick, have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one yeah, with Kim and the, he. Yeah, and Janet. Just a reminder: this this isn't the one you've seen. No. You've seen right now. Wrong. No, then. I saw, Oh no, you've seen the woman, who ran. The woman who, ran. who ran. I knew. I knew it was one of the. It's Kim one of the Kim and, and he ones, and on all of these yeah. titles, I feel like you could kind of swap them around. <laughs> like yeah like honestly woman who ran would actually work pretty well with on the beach alone at right. night because um oh, i had a movie that was like a really and, good and comparison. right now wrong then would kind of work for women who ran also so he could just like do yeah um is on the beach alone at night on the beach at night alone sorry is basically just the alex garland movie men i think <laughs> where there's just someone that keeps popping up and haunting yeah. her and it is it is pretty unnerving in this movie and got really good hongisms and a lot I, i'm starting to get the fact that like whenever hong brings out some alcohol then we get some like real shit going down and like that's when some secrets yeah, will be revealed people, people will talk. real real good drinking scenes in on the beach alone at night um had my one year anniversary with Cassia. we decided to watch the incredibly romantic movie an autumn afternoon and uh, we ended that night pretty sad. I was gonna say, I was like, I, I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing it's a bummer. Yeah, it it really is a bummer, and I I think I challenged Nick. I think it's sadder than late spring. No, I don't think so. Um, the only, the main reason why we watched this is uh, she's been on an Ozu kick, and this was the movie I bought at Barnes and Noble on our first date. So thought it made a good watch, and it was a great movie, yes. but <laughs> could have picked a more romantic one. I watched um, Altman's Shortcuts, which I'm gonna I'm gonna. No, that's a romantic movie. Jesus oh. fuck! Do you think that? I'm gonna reiterate the question to this, you guys. What the fuck was that movie? Right. I mean, Nick, when he saw it, described it as being like Twin Peaksy, and like it's Twin Peaksy. Mm-hmm. That was one of Peter, the most. Peter Balliger helpful... is like the most Twin Peaks character, who's not actually in Twin Peaks. Just, just like his whole vibe. Chainsawing a whole building, a whole house for. Like, couldn't know, you imagine last Bobby doing hour? that? Yes, a hundred percent. That, that um, movie also has one of my favorite endings. I love the ending. Of, it, uh, it's Shark an ultimate. It's, it's phenomenal. I think Nick, your point of it being like Twin Peaks was one of the most helpful comments he could have. It, it gives good me going mindset that context. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, cir- it, I circled back to something I'd said in the group chat after I'd watched it, and I'm curious if you think I'm right or not. Andy McDowell, one of the weaker parts of the movie, or at least her accent. <laughs> 
Her accent's fucking wild. I don't know, because this movie is like Twin Peaks sort of playing on everyone is at this like soap opera mm-hmm. level of 10. Yeah. And mm. I think she's the best at it. But it's so much that I'm not sure it completely works. But that's my whole thought on this movie is I I, I, I don't know. I'm really conflicted on it. But I, I, I think it's amazing is, is still what I'm at. I did listen to some. Um, someone did an all. There's this movie called the directors. This podcast called the Directors Club. Have you guys heard, heard of, of it? Someone goes through and like each episode, they just do an entire director's filmography. Um, so I listened to that for the um, McKay mm-hmm. background, and then I listened to the shortcuts episode. And I, they gave a really good point that like when McCabe is sort of like was it based on, but like the music of Leonard Cohen is sort of like the tone of McCabe. You could imagine um, Simon and Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence is the tone of shortcuts. And that unlocked another level for me of like, yeah, there's all these people that aren't connecting to anyone and the sort of darkness and frustration that arises out of it. Gotta say, though, um, this is maybe the, the, the shallowest, stupidest point I've ever made. But is Tim Robbins's character in Shortcuts just Dwight Schrute from The Office? <laughs> I for some reason it ha- like it clicked and it I couldn't at the end when the shit is going down I don't want to get into the shit and he has like this megaphone that he's like screaming to the neighborhood at I was like yeah this oh, it's is like the fire the fire drill it's it's literally yeah. Dwight Schrute when he yeah. goes yeah. to rescue the dog it feels like Angela's cat that he like killed oh, and oh, then tried oh. to tried to like replace and he's like sorry ma'am this is police business I, I couldn't unsee Dwight Schrute when it when it happened for me so also thought Robert Downey Jr. was the main character of this movie and is maybe the 80th most main character say, in not, this movie not a main character anyway no but yeah. <laughs> but in my heart it's Madeline Stowe oh, sure. which sorry who's that uh, Tim Robbins' wife. Okay. Um, to me, it was... I can't remember the actors. This movie is filled with actors that I know well but never knew the names of. Like I kept on being like, wait, what's the helicopter's name? It's like, oh, it's Peter yeah. Gallagher. Who's the woman that plays the cello? Oh, I don't know I don't her know name. Her. Okay. Um, that's that's kind of who I thought the main oh, character sure. of the movie was. Um. God, it was nice to see Fred Ward just fucking kicking ass in a movie. Uh, how did you feel about the Jack Levin scene, Nick? It's all right. It was better than uh, him cooking with a fucking tennis racket. He was at like Max Jam- Jack Levin, and I just didn't know, given your thoughts on the apartment, if that would work for you. Um, anyway, Shortcuts, interesting movie, probably great. And lastly, I watched the heavenly John Boy new short that came out called Section is it, One. Is it football? Is football? I'll get to it. No, 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 no! It's really good. Do, do you do you guys know what the plot is? No, I do not. Okay, so the plot is it's like the 1976 AFC Championship game. It's the Colt, the Baltimore Colts versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they, like, the first opening thing is, like, a plane will crash into the stadium five minutes after the game ends. 
had no idea this happened, but this is true. A plane crashed into the stadium at the end of the game. The point is, yes and no. It's fucking insane. The entire, there's two dual-line storylines. It's the game going on and the guy that drives the plane going on. The, the whole part about the guy with the plane is one of the most insane stories I've ever heard in my life. The point of the game, though, is they're like, we need the Steelers to beat the Colts so badly that no one will be in the stadium five minutes after the game when the plane hits. So this whole time you're waiting to see how many people are going to be alive in section one Wait, when the plane hits the section one. coming, so they're trying to end the game quickly? What it's what the the point? I mean, it's this John Boy sort of like he's like sort of this like onlooker, okay. and he's like, "What we need to happen?" Oh, I see. He's knowing like, what's about from a to historical happen. Historical perspective. It's like so. The, the whole point of this football game that they keep on updating is like, can the Steelers keep on scoring a touchdown so people will start leaving the game before this plane hits the hits section one, which is why it's called section mm-hmm. one. It's so good. What what a premise! It's so well executed. I watch it at least for the the story of the guy that's in the plate. It's it's bonkers. Um, real good, real good movie. Uh, yeah. So that's what I watched this week. J- Janet, did you watch anything else besides the two movies you talked um, about? I rewatched uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth now that it's out on. Apple. You rewatched Cha Cha Yeah, well, Matt hadn't seen it, and he really he was really mad that oh, I watched gotcha. it without him. <laughs> and so and Fair. so I rewatched it, and I liked it even better on a on a second watch. Um. So I liked it quite a bit. So yeah, that was, I watched that. And then I just watched a bunch of like crap. I watched the Rob Zombie Halloween movie. Um, Oh, I saw that. Yeah, bad. There was a reason why I didn't watch it originally. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, no, I didn't care for that. (laughs) Jenna, those are reclaimed masterpieces though. That, that, it is, it is just, you know, I I described like, so I described Inland Empire as being like a deeply unpleasant movie to watch. So it's not necessarily like, that is not, in and of itself an insult like i think inland empire is a really well-made movie that i just found a very unpleasant thing to watch i knew that, that rob zombie halloween is just like ugh. will you be watching rob H- zombies halloween 2 because that's the one that people yeah, really champion. i only haven't because that one i'll have to rent this one was sitting on netflix and so i was like okay okay so, but I, I will i'm gonna watch that and it feels like even the people that reclaim halloween 2 are kind of like halloween what it's okay he, the Halloween 2. Oh, well, and I think the thing about Halloween 2 is he, he just tells a new story. Like, it's not like a remake of Halloween, the original Halloween 2. There's been like eight Halloween 2s at this point. But, like, he just tells a new story, and I think that's why people, some people say it's good. This one, mm-hmm. like, he literally, the it's first kind of Halloween. Well, the first two thirds are like a prequel to Halloween, and then he shoves the entire plot of the original Halloween to like the final third of the movie. Um, okay, that's kind of re- weird. Yeah, he what he really wants to do is spend a lot of time with like the kid Michael Myers, so we can really empathize okay. with him and understand. Except for he, like when we first meet him, he's like doing the like stereotypical psychopath kid thing of like killing animals, and so like and like sure he's bullied. Okay, I get it, but like. He has like an abusive stepdad. Probably because he's a little. Psycho. I was gonna say, but did kind you, of. I'm like, did you guys see the the trailer for that second movie in the Wonder storyline that came out this week? A, Do you guys remember that movie Wonder about the kid with the oh, disfigured I face? I watched it and bullied? I sobbed like a was baby. That the Todd Haynes. No, no, not not the Todd Haynes uh, black and white movie. <laughs> no, the one that's an adaptation of that book. It starred Jennifer Garner and and I think Jacob Tremblay. Um, it made me. Is it oh, Owen Wilson oh. the dad? It made too? me cry like a little baby. I like I watched yeah, it. And it was whatever. nominated for an Oscar. It's not like great or anything, but 
It's so bad. Oh, my God. But oh my God, it made me cry. It's that little movie. Anyway, the, they, they made a sequel to it about how the bully was actually misunderstood because his family were Holocaust survivors. The, even by the end of the first movie, I think you're sort of supposed to come <laughs> around on the bully, if I remember correctly. A little, like, but this, this, this sequel... I mean, is it a real movie this, or is it like some like? No, it's a real movie. It's got like Helen Mirren in it, and is it based like, on a sequel it, to it, the book? I don't is it also directed? So. Is it also directed by the guy who directed Dear Evan Hansen? <laughs> <laughs> is it really? I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, wonder, wonder was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then he made Perks of Being a Wallflower. Is this the worst modern movie director? That oh, I straight up love Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, God. I never straight saw the movie. The book or the Although movie? I think anyone watching movie. it now would would be would find it a tough time to watch. Because, um, yeah, who's who's really it, phenomenal in that movie? Frankly, um, I I really really like uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, but poor Steven Steven Jabosky is a like an author first, who then is like I'm gonna yeah. start directing movies, and it's like because he directed Perks, right? That was like his right, first, but that's movie. His, of his own novel. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like that I kind of get. Um, but yeah, they're Evan Hansen and Wonder. Yeah, don't maybe don't don't do that. Um, um sorry, I'm trying to dig anyways, into the sequel situation. It's like it's like White a Bird, cinematic a universe Wonder they're story. making. Oh my gosh, it's being it's it's directed by Mark Forster, who directed oh uh, Monsters Ball, Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, Quantum of Solace, World War Z, etc. Et World War Z. Stranger, did you say Stranger Than Fiction? I did. Yeah, Finding Neverland, Kite Runner. Okay, but it's a, it's a prequel. It's a war movie. So it's it's it what what it's saying. It, it, I guess there was a book of this. It's an extended cinematic universe of the Wonder Story. So after the events of Wonder, the the kid Julian has left the school. He's visited by his grandmother from Paris, who tells him stories of her childhood. Uh, in Nazi-occupied France during World War II. Yeah, Gillian Anderson and Helen Mirren. Nick is looking with such right. skeptical. I just, I, just, I, I, no, I'm looking at, uh, I, I'm looking at Mark Forrester's filmography. I, oh, okay. I mean, I, under, like, you described exactly what this was, Dylan. And yet, still, I was like, I don't think he's describing it right. But no, you are. <laughs> you absolutely are. That's weird. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Do we have? Oh, sorry. I'll just also say. So yeah, I watched the Rob Zombie Halloween. I'll I'll watch Halloween too. I don't think I'll like that either, but I'll I'll give it a shot. Um, I yes. watched the um, the Friday the Thirteenth remake or the like the two thousand nine the one that's like a, sort of a reboot remake. That was pretty fun. I actually mm-hmm. uh, had a good time with that. Not like good or anything, but it was perfectly fine. Um, sure. And then Janet, have you seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre yet? Yeah, I watched it last summer. Okay, I knew one of you two did. Yeah, I, well, I watched remember. it last summer. And Nick, you still haven't seen it, right? No, somebody's releasing it in 4K this year, so I'll probably just... Yeah, okay. great, great movie. Yeah, okay, I, I knew don't, one of you worry, watched it. I'm, just... I'm not out here watching the 2009 Friday the 13th remake not having seen Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> I could tell that's what you were getting at. You're like, you're watching all this garbage. Why aren't you watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I was mainly asking because some people have thought that the... 2000-ish Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie was I'm a pretty good I'm gonna check that out. Reimagining. Yeah, I, I also, I watched yeah. 
That's that's mainly why I was asking. I also I was not watched Freddy vs. Jason, um, which is from 2003. That's a fun and that movie. Was super fun. Um, so like, I, I want to go back and catch up more of these 2000s uh, horror movies that I that I missed out on a lot of them originally. Um, should I watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? The sequel. Do you want to talk to Steven about Does that? Steven love it or hate it? Steven thinks Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 is okay, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is, like, the greatest horror it's movie a, ever made. It's like a comedy, though, isn't it? Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why Steven okay. I mean, likes I it. I love horror like, comedies. So. Like, the subversions okay. and stuff. Well, I'll check that out. It's That's on the list, and it's it's floating around online, so. Um, okay, I think that's... Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a good movie. It is really good. That That's a but scary no, movie. Uh, no that is a terrifying movie. You know what? Suspiria. Oh, so we started Suspiria last night, and then I was like, "Well, I was." You started. I I was too tired. I couldn't give it my attention, and so we're gonna uh, watch it later. Well, it was. How far did you get? Like the first thirty minutes. It looks amazing, by the way. That you were not kidding. It looks so bonkers. Hitting about that disc. It looks so it good. Looks, uh, it's like I've seen clips from it before, and they have not looked this good. The colors are unreal. Yeah. Like it is. They're wow. What a beautiful yeah. like just the lights, the colors. Yeah, the soundtrack. Like you said, that theme should be up. Did there. you get to any part? Yeah. Did you get to any part in the soundtrack where the music will be playing, and then you'll just hear a witch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> it does that a couple times. Yeah. It's pretty good. No, that theme should be up there with like The Exorcist and Halloween really and should. sort of all those classics. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the beyond also good. So the thing about those gate, we really gotta. It, we we like finished talking about the movie an hour ago. Um, what movie? <laughs> good question. <laughs> the thing Don't the thing remember. about the Gates of Hell movies is those soundtracks are really hard to find. Like they're really like every. I go on YouTube a lot. Yeah, and find the them YouTube though. is the best place to find them. Um, they are weirdly hard to find, which is annoying. Cause hard to play in the car though when they're on YouTube. That is tough. Yeah, I mean, I guess. No, no, that would be really annoying to do. Um, but yeah, good music. Nick, go watch the Gates of Hell trilogy. No, oh, we got to watch a three-hour movie uh, coming up before that. Yes. So what is next, it? wait, is Metropolis? It's not Metropolis. Is Metropolis three hours long? It's no, like two forty. Is it really? I haven't seen it. I think so. Obviously, in so long. I'll, I'll, I will honestly tell you, the first time I saw Metropolis, the longest version was about a hundred minutes. Oh, like the the like uh, the journey Metropolis has been on is uh, it's crazy. It's two two and a half two and a half on Letterboxd. Um, yes, I think my version is maybe missing ten minutes. So it's then, rentable so. in all the various places. It's streaming on Canopy. Plus your Plutos and Tubies. Um, the rentable version on Amazon is uh, two hours. Huh. The, the, so the, the time described on Metropolis is two and a half. Um, yeah. I'll have to look in. The rentable version on YouTube is two and a okay. half. One second. I think I have it down here. I'm going to see if I, I, I can check on iTunes too. Long. This is great. Canopy is two okay. and a half. That's how they're all watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, I forget that people just keep finding well, more shit on Finding Metropolis. additional reels and shoving them in there. Yeah. Oh, I looked down and looked back up and Nick was going. I think Nick's trying to find his copy uh, okay. and seeing how long it's got. Metropolis is a good movie. That's some great images. It's a good movie. Our second laying in, like... Well, we did M a long time ago. We did do point, it a long but... time ago. But yeah, we're going to have Lang's pretty close together. We're going to have Altman's pretty close together. 
This is the the one risk of the uh, alphabetical order, as you might just get that. What's up? Might be upstairs, or it must be upstairs because <laughs> it's not down here. All right. Well, we will see. Um, but yeah, it was very very helpful. So that will be. Um... Sorry, I got distracted looking at the Ebert essay. Yeah. So next up, Metropolis, uh, rentable, streamable. Try to find a version that's two and a half hours long. That seems to be the one to be looking for. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. Me too. Any final thoughts? No, yeah, we're done. To it. Okay. Uh, did it thanks. <laughs> to the to end, the end. Um, all right well thanks to everyone for listening you can find us um, on twitter or letterboxd at great movies pod thanks as always to our friend scott brady for our podcast artwork you can find him on instagram at art by scott 92 with uh, underscores between all those things and um yeah, until we talk about Metropolis next time. Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. Go find your copy, Nick. You look concerned. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm thinking that maybe sure. it's on one of the, the shelves to the to my left are not uh, alphabetized. It's just like things th- shoved on the shelves haphazardly. But I think Oops. it's upstairs. Okay. Which is also unorganized. Only, <laughs> only some of my shelves are organized. It's a very chaotic system I have. Yeah, mess- message us when you're, you find it. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.